0: If you're 21 or older consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more you can order nicotine pouches online they ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country black buffalo tobacco alternative bold flavor full pouches warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical black buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwear The meat eater podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from Merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Hey everybody, you've heard us talking about it for months now. Uh, My new book coming out May 3rd, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, Getting Your Family Out of the House and Radically Engaged with Nature. This book covers it all, man. Many of the questions that I've gotten over the years from people, such as, like, uh, how old should my kid be before I allow them to start shooting twenty twos or getting them started on a BB gun? Um, Do I think it's damaging if a kid sees a deer die when they're really young? How do you get your kids interested in eating game meat? Um, How do you get kids engaged around gardens, Right like how how to in my view it's how to get your kids radically engaged with nature because a couple reasons if you're listening to this you probably like to hang out outside you're probably into hunting and fishing and you want to have that be a family thing and you want to introduce your kids to it in a way that it becomes a family thing that your kids like too because that's what you like doing and there's nothing selfish about that man if you're a parent um you play your best game when you're engaged too you want to demonstrate authentic enthusiasm to your kids. You want to show your kids what it's like to be excited about something. You're excited about nature. This is just some insights and help about how to make sure that you can pass that along to your kids. And here's the thing. If they grow up and they never touch it again, that's fine. Still love them, but you know that they go into life armed with that toolkit that you demonstrated to them by living a life outside. It's a good book, if I say so myself. Anyhow, you have until May 2nd to pre-order and then be eligible to receive an additional 50-page free resource guide. So when we were doing the book, me and, and Brody Henderson, who you hear on the podcast here all the time, we put together a 50-page resource guide full of all kinds of extra advice and insights and gear tips and everything for keeping your kids squared away, right? feeding them, dressing them, everything safety information, resources about how to find stuff you might want to find. We didn't put it in the book. It's a 50-page resource guide that we will email straight to you, free, once you share your pre-order information for outdoor kids in an inside world. It's a crazy-ass URL I'm not even going to give you right now because it's so like weird. But here's a couple ways to find it. No matter where you buy the book, okay? you buy it on Barnes Noble, you buy it on Amazon, we don't care where you buy it. Take that order information and go to this page to redeem the thing. The page will be in the show notes to this podcast episode. If you go to Instagram and go to at Stephen in my bio, we'll just leave it, it'll live there for a while. In my bio will be a link that takes you to where you put in your order information, regardless of where you bought it, where you put in your order information in order to redeem and get the 50-page free resource guide. Thanks, guys. I uh, hope you enjoy the book. I know you'll enjoy it. I have been thinking about writing this thing since the minute my wife was pregnant with our first child 12, pretty much 12 years and nine months ago. So thanks, everybody. Turn the machine on, Phil. Uh Sam Bates, you so you're better at both skiing and shooting than Giannis, I hear.
1: Um, yes.
0: Like you whooped him. At I, biathlon. I,
1: I absolutely did, but I think we <laughs> maybe had different strategies.
2: <laughs> she already had her like her uh post race big puffy jacket to stay warm on by the time I finished the course. I was so far behind. I don't really understand what happened. I don't either. So you guys went down. With an Olympic, who's here with us right now?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You went down with an Olympic biathl—bi—what do you call him? Biathlete. Biathlete. No. Yeah. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself. I'm Paul Schomer. I'm on the U.S. Biathlon team, and yeah, fresh from Beijing.
4: Yeah, a few few weeks
0: out, but uh, but yeah. So I, at this point, are you guys able to speak freely without getting, being worried about like retribution? Yeah, or is it still like you guys are still a little buttoned up.
4: No, not really. I yeah. mean, uh, like you gotta be like,
0: this snow is amazing.
4: No, no. You, I mean, you can speak freely. We're in like free speech is. is we're back in America now, back so we can say whatever role. we want. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs>
2: hold on. This is something I don't know about. When oh, you Andy, guys, Annie told
0: me all about all this because oh.
2: Annie's a skier. So when the, all the skiers they, were they, over there, you guys weren't allowed to talk freely and truly about their experiences.
5: The, It was strongly discouraged. Like if someone said, "Like how's the snow?"
0: You had to be like, "It is the best snow I've ever seen in my life."
5: The thing is, we're (laughs) Americans and we take our Americanness with us over there. So they they there was it was kind of a caveat there. Like we know you're probably going to say whatever you want, but we strongly discourage you guys from saying anything negative politically about the conditions, about the venues, et cetera, et cetera.
6: David, introduce yourself.
5: I'm David Wise, uh, three-time Olympic medalist and half-pipe skiing. Did, uh, was that a nuclear reactor in the background? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What was what was that in the background? That's a great question, uh, which I don't have the answer was it for. Were they like
0: flexing? Were they like, just in case people forget,
5: nuclear superpower? I think so. I, I thought it was odd, too. With the Olympic yeah. sign
0: on it? I but I it was
4: like a big green space as well. So it was like both of them it's like hey we have nuclear power but we're also concerned about the environment
5: but was that an active (laughs) cooling tower i don't think so no no it's like they decorate with cooling towers i think they put that up i I think they intentionally built that in the background but i don't know
0: to be like hey just so you know somebody's a fact check so so you know we're cooking down some uranium
5: (laughs) that blew my mind that that was there yeah i don't compete in big air and that venue was very far from. Oh, she so we never got over there. I never even saw it in
0: person. No. Yeah. God, I feel like every time I walked by a TV, I was looking at that cooling tower.
5: Yeah, because especially the early events were all you know, snowboard big air, ski big air, women's, men's. Like Gosh, that was a so... very well featured. Site. Tower. Yeah. Cooling <laughs> you know, tower. in Hanoi, um,
0: at least when I was there not terribly long ago, all the parks were still decorated with downed American aircraft. Like a wing out of the ground, a tail fin out of the ground, and it'll be like the date they shot it down. Yeah, that's cool. A little flexing of military power, man. <laughs> yeah. Now that we're above that, I mean, we got generals. We flex. And, yeah, yeah, we got generals all over the place. Not fake cooling towers, but I don't, I don't want, I don't want to sit, I don't want to do this because I don't want to detract from the experience. But I would need to go to our colleague Annie to interpret the Olympics for me. She's never been. But she like? Follow skiing, I guess.
2: I'm looking at Yahoo Sports right now. Uh, <clears> the <throat> title of the article is "Reason China Built an Olympic Ski Jump Next to a Giant Factory." And the first sentence is, "No, they're not nuclear plant towers. Oh, just a I'll cooling ha- tower." I'll have to uh, read a little bit more though to tell you what they are.
0: All right, so I want to get back to I want to get back to how Sam's better than you at skiing and shooting. You <laughs> guys, tell me what you guys did yesterday.
1: We did not ski. Oh. We were just like um walking very fast. Snowmelt. As yeah. if
5: as if you had skis
7: as on your feet. As if we had skis but you on, did on not. our
1: feet, yeah.
0: And you shot.
1: And then we shot. And we shot prone twice and then standing twice and then they had us do penalty runs if we missed.
4: Yep. So basically penalty the way runs. biathlon works is you go you, you shoot every shooting you have five shots. Any shot that you miss, you get penalized with a penalty loop or a time penalty. And so yesterday we had them doing penalty loops. But um, we took it easy on them in some respects and not in others because there's different size targets as well. But, uh, yeah, they did well for the most part.
2: We actually had to walk the course. The course mm-hmm. was basically like maybe 40 yards ar- down and around a truck that was parked. Yeah. And then the penalty loop was maybe a five-yard loop around two tripods with a spotting scope set up on them. Got it. And what were you shooting?
0: What? what oh, you were shooting the actual, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. You were shooting the actual biathlon
2: gun. Yeah. At actual biathlon targets. Got
1: it. And Yanni had one-on-one training up to <laughs> that race. So I don't know how. His excuses
5: are getting removed.
1: <laughs> yeah. One <by> one. <laughs> so
0: but, so I, I just want to say, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm honestly asking. You guys were toe-to-toe. And you outshot Giannis.
1: I don't think outshot would be the word. <laughs>
0: I mean, actually, like, do you guys know what you shot?
4: Like, how many you missed each time? Because that would be yeah. something you could think about. I or, think
2: like, my compare. was we shot, I shot dirty, as I learned was the phrase, which means that the first round of prone, I missed all five.
6: He did. Really? Probably. Me too. Uh-huh. Yeah. You did I don't too? Know how? The first round. Mm-hmm. So
4: yeah. that was on prone targets. So it was the smaller targets, which. You always get people, like when they first start biathlon, you kind of get their confidence up by having them just shoot standing targets in prone, but then we switch the targets to the smaller ones, and then it was a little bit of... Maybe,
8: maybe explain million. how like the race, <laughs> at a biathlon race actually works, because... yeah.
0: Well, no, I want to save that for in a minute. Okay. We got some stuff we got to take care of. Okay. We're going to get into all this.
2: <laughs> do you want I mean do you want we can talk about Sam's strategy right now I mean, that might, yeah, I i like to someone, know that like, might if, be if someone how could,
0: she like if someone could like I ha- like imagine that I'm 5 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me really quickly how sa- what Sam beat you at
1: Okay so I would say my strategy that I didn't realize I had was to be accurate with the prone shooting as best as I could which I don't know. I think the second round I got all five, but the first round I didn't. And then to just be fast with the standing, because I knew I wasn't gonna be able to hit them anyways. <laughs> and then I could just run my penalty laps really fast, and then. Finish.
0: Oh, so you just basically built a strategy where you're planning on missing, yeah? So just get it over with, yeah, and then do the penalty shit.
1: Because I can't hold that the gun up for that long. You know, it's like. I knew I wasn't, like, without time, I wasn't going to be able to shoot accurately. Not that I was shooting accurately with time, but...
5: (laughs) Got it. In my sport, we call that skiing your strengths. There
1: you go. Oh. Yeah.
4: yeah. I just think the biggest thing... you figure out what you're good at, and you send it. There you go. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to just remember with biathlon is that it's a race. It's not a shooting competition only. So, as Sam demonstrated, that to get done with shooting quicker, you can get to your penalty loops faster, and then, therefore, you just kind of keep it moving. Where... I don't know, other people, sometimes you camp out on the range. I mean, if you're camped out there for a minute and a half and somebody else shot in 30 seconds, you can think they have one more minute ahead of you on the course already. So it's it's kind of that fine line. And uh, yeah, like you definitely see that on windy days. When it's like super windy out, people are kind of like, well, I'm not going to hit all five anyway. I might as well just kind of throw some shots down range and get out here as fast as I can. But, you know, it's a very fine line in any any competition where it's like, okay, want to shoot fast? But, you know, if I'm going five seconds faster but I miss an extra shot, it's really not worth it. So, you gotta, it's a game of trying to play to your strengths, as <laughs> David so would if,
0: say. if you imagine, like, an axis mm-hmm. and on one is uh, on one is fast skiing mm-hmm. and on the other is is being a dead-eye dick, where is your strength? Um... I
4: would say this year I was better relative to like the World Cup field. I was probably a little bit above average on shooting and right around average with skiing.
0: Got it. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we got to cover a couple things. Corinne, one thing that you you misrepresent. I'm not anti-skiing. I'm anti my family skiing. (laughs) (laughs) If I could have my way, everybody in the whole world would ski. That's all they would ever do. And then anything I wanted to do, they wouldn't be there. <laughs> so, like, spring break, I had to take my kids to Six Flags. I'd be like, no one's at Six Flags. They're all skiing. I'm just at Six Flags with my family. If I go ice fishing, no one's ice fishing. Okay, got They're it. all skiing. Except me. But I'm with my family ice fishing. Got it. Okay. It's not. I am not. I am pro skiing except for five individuals on planet Earth.
6: But you don't feel so like... So, I
0: want 700 billion, <laughs> 700, 999 million, and you know what I'm trying to say?
6: Yeah, the math podcast. <laughs> Let's <laughs> <would> say 700 billion <laughs> is quite like, a podcast. <laughs> People ski.
0: P- that many people ski. And yep. then there's five that don't.
6: But then don't you my like... Family. Don't you knock Giannis for not being a true outdoorsman because he splits his time yep.
0: scheme? I want... I'm glad that he does it but I look down on him for doing it, but I support,
6: <laughs> I support him doing it. I
0: think I looked up. It just surprises me. It surprises me that he's not a true outdoorsman. I just want to say, Steve, that you might need to
7: rethink how you're kind of framing this whole skiing thing. I, I know you're trying to do that actively right now, and I'm proud of you, but yeah, I just want to, to say clarify. That the, the, the public reaction to you, to your and Brody's, uh, I don't even know what to call it grievances the other day yeah uh i to to sum it up i'd say they thought you were selfish and insane just kind of how i felt
0: as well now my daughter now my daughter is like i'm gonna be a ski racer
6: okay what about what about biathlon what about biathlon
0: do they do it on weekends
6: (laughs) i'm sure they could yeah if they
0: do it on weekends i don't like it (laughs) weekdays weekends you know Every day. You yep. can Every show day. Up any day. Oh, now listen, not
6: fly. <laughs> my
0: kids skied nine Saturdays in a row this winter. The Renella household was dead. The Rinella household shut down. <laughs> Nothing, like, ground to a halt. The minute that shit ended, we went to Texas hunting. We went out fishing here. This weekend, we're going beaver trapping. We're back on. Why are we back on? Because skiing ended. But here, don't you? There's two days in every weekend. You know that. But it doesn't work that way. The other, no skiing it's one day I takes up so the entire too. weekend. No, because I like to leave. I like to go Friday night.
5: Pew, out gone. Don't don't you feel like your stance on this might actually be hurting you in the long yes. run?
0: Yes, because I my was, wife
5: doubles. No, my wife's like she, my wife has taken now like a sort of screw you. I'm gonna make it worse. Oh yeah, wow. she's she's digging her feet in. Yeah. She's like uh uh-uh, uh, you ain't pulling me away from. Oh, this Oh yeah, one. now she's like yeah, you know. So now, <laughs> listen, I
0: I got <laughs> the pleasure shut to be
2: <laughs> on, at the ski hill when his kids are they're skiing, they're skiing right next to my kids. And the smiles on all three of Steve's children as they enjoy gravity pulling them down there. Oh, that they, love uh, they love it. They love it. Like, like, you wouldn't even believe it. it. It's just like pure joy and so much fun. I'd love to hear that. And
5: probably because partly <laughs> the enjoyment there is because they're like, Dad doesn't like us doing this. Oh, so yeah. It's like, they're like, it's like listening <laughs> to rock and roll is, back oh, in
0: yeah.
6: the 50s. <laughs> That's right. Okay, For, but what if they did like, biathlon and they're shooting... Uh, practice was increasing their their accuracy and their hunting prowess
0: if my kids all of a sudden said hey you know what i'm gonna that i like to do we like to go in the mountains on our skis and ski around hunting snowshoe hares i'd be like i think we should do that every weekend
6: and then would you take till we die
0: yeah okay oh if that's what they're gonna do
6: oh Oh, no i'll be like
2: that sounds right up my alley that sounds right in my alley. Listen, if we get this trip to Sweden dialed in, where are we at with that, Sam?
1: <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to approve it.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, for our Capricalis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to be skiing well, I, I'll, on. I'll, it. Here, I hereby approve it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> now tell Annie and Tracy that.
0: <laughs> We're going to be skiing on. I don't know. It was like held up on me.
2: 11 foot skis. 11 feet. I'm probably going to bring some oh, shorts. Sweet. That's a
1: long ski, right? It sounds That's so a, fun.
2: They have <laughs> so to be they have to be long for flotation. I'll
0: yeah, we'll see.
4: So the one thing that I would say about <laughs> oh, this though is oh. that I, I was like when I was ice fishing as a kid, I was definitely wishing I was out skiing. So Really? I mean, but I was also in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is just like there's no skiing around there anyway, so it just Old seemed like this hills. fantasy
8: thing. You ever go to like but, um, Sunburst, which is right
4: there? I didn't ski when I was growing oh, up, really? so I just did it. I, I was just like you I wish I would. No, no, no. So
1: when did you actually start?
4: Um when I was like 16 I started skiing. Oh, okay. Yeah, before that was a wrestler.
0: So, okay, hold tight a minute. Yeah, I'm gonna reintroduce our guest. Then we're gonna get serious <laughs> about this show here. David Wise from Reno, Nevada. First Light Ambassador. If you had any watching the Olympics and see a fella running around in
5: First Light hunting clothes, it's probably you. It's probably me. <laughs> I would assume. <laughs> Unless they're picking up ambassadors left, left and right, but I think I'm the only one. Two
0: time Olympic gold medalist. And four time X Games gold medalist. So the Olympic gold medalist 2014, 2018, four time X Games gold medalist, 12, 13, 14, 18. He took silver for half pipe in this year's Beijing Winter Olympics. That's not the one I'm wearing.
5: I almost, I'm wearing his medal. I almost like three for sons three. of bitches. What just, are these weigh? Just one step shy of three for three there. Really? What do these weigh? <sighs> like 500 grams. And, Just uh, over a pound. Of, how old are you heavy. now? 31. That's
0: old for it's I didn't, old this, for I didn't a know this. I, I didn't know this till I didn't
5: know this I read it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like Tom Brady. Yeah. I've been getting some Tom Brady references, plenty of <laughs> plenty of uh yeah, plenty of old guys. Thirty-one
0: references. is old.
5: Well, if you think about it, it's all it all comes in like the comes down to the age range of the sport. And there's no collegiate comp- competition for half pipe skiing. So pretty much You either drop out of high school and start as a professional at 15, 16, 17, or you complete high school and then you have to to launch your professional career fairly early. It's a young sport. Like I turned pro when I was 18, but some of my peers like started signing contracts and traveling the world at 15, 16 years old. So even though I feel like I'm young as a human in the sport, (laughs) I'm old because I've been doing it for, you know.
0: Yeah. teens young years. human old skier
5: yeah <laughs> old half pipe skier
0: because because you that, went back and if you went back and tell us it in four years uh yes you the Olympics might the, are every four years you'd even. be the oldest dude yeah in your competition I,
5: I I would assume so I was the second oldest in finals this time around by one year and if I go again I'll, I'll be the oldest I'm sure Man. in
2: in in half pipe not okay. not in, uh, not on the Olympic team in Half five, but there can't be many other athletes much older on the American Olympic team, right? Yeah, there was a snowboard
5: cross guy in his early forties. This year, he was the oldest guy.
2: Oh, and Jacob Ellis that won gold. She was like thirty six or seven, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So this is what troubles
0: me about this whole thing. You can be the best of the best and have like a whole career. And then you're like 32 or whatever, and you gotta go do like a whole other one.
5: Yeah, that's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> I guess you become a commentator. Yeah. Oh, there's so many different things you can do. Yeah, commentator, coach, whatever. Do you like, think you're going to the commentating business? Yeah, I, I enjoy that. I'll, I'll do a little bit of that. I've uh, the last couple of years, I've gotten really into doing men- mental strength training. So just kind of taking this 12 year cycle of going to the Olympics and trying to perform at your best under pressure. Has taught me a lot of things. I feel like I've learned a lot of things the hard way, kind of like you do when you're hunting. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, I'm never to make that mistake again because they winded me and they're all gone. So that's kind of how my experience has been as a professional skier. So lately, I've just been uh, picking young. I, I I essentially look for athletes who are like I was when I was young because I had all the talent and you're all like the a talent skill. Scout. A little bit, but but I look more for people who are getting in their own way mentally. Because mm-hmm. when I was young, I was I could do all the same tricks as everybody else. But I could not land a contest run to save my life. I didn't win my oh. first X Games gold medal. until so I was 21, which was already old for a for a first time X Games gold medalist. Because so you had target panic, a major target panic. I would get there and I would just stress out. I'd be like, I have to land this run right now. I gotta do it, and then I would, of course, crash. So all those mental like strongholds that I built over the years, I'm like, man, I mean, I could just use these for myself for the rest of my life, or I could, you know, help out some young athletes who are like I was. So it's been pretty fun. Let's uh,
0: let's test your commentator skills. I want you to give a formal introduction to Paul. It's highlighted Ooh, there.
3: The
0: <laughs> so be like this young man out of, I you know I like when baseball when they like do all their talking between swings. Oh, there you go. Sort okay, like, this young
5: man out of Appleton, Wisconsin, <laughs> swinging a miss. All right, grew so we, up.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Joining us here on the Meteor Podcast today, we have Paul Schaumer from Appleton, Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsinite like cheddar.
0: <laughs> like let, me, like let me interpret that Which, for you that, tester that, that, from that chester. is a
2: nickname chester, of chester. The, yeah
0: chester the tester sometimes goes by cheddar
5: because of wisconsin he's a wisconsinite like chester is a biathlete who represented the united states at the 2022 olympic winter games his first world cup podium finish was a silver medal in 2019 for the men's 10k sprint competition
0: and if you're going to be a real commentator, you have to get good at stating very obvious shit. So you'd say, um, today he's going to need to ski fast and shoot straight. <laughs> <laughs> and not lose his skis. <laughs> All right, I need my thing back. Great job. You got a bright future. I don't care if you go into consulting, commentating. You got time to figure it out. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, the Auction House of Oddities is back on. The Auction House is open. It's live now. So it closes on 425. You got another week to go bid on some of the following items. So, a five day Alaska King Salmon fishing trip. That's awesome. Yeah. Go bid on that. Go to Alaska, fish King Salmon, five days. I think that's for two people. I don't know. Who donated that? The guide, the outfitter. We got a custom silversmith belt buckle engraved with the meat eater logo. Listen, we have. One of the street, you know, th- does everybody know those things? I feel like they sell them in like, uh, what's that place where they sell those things in airports and whatnot? The head scratchers. Like little kiosks. Those little tingly head scratchers. Corinne made one of those out of pheasant feet.
6: They're cow's pheasants.
0: We got a raccoon hide. So one of Clay's raccoons signed by Clay. We have my left handed 300 mark Weatherby Mark 5, in first light camo. We have, oh, my complete archery setup from, so if you watch the season 10 episode of Meat Eater where me and Phelps are hunting elk and I shot a bull, that bow, like, ready to go. I actually, like, had, I had a, I haven't really shot that bow since then because I had a shoulder injury and I'm just now trying to get back to be able to pull my bow back. Um, Cal's pruning shears, that'll fetch a pretty penny. <laughs> la, la- well,
1: those <laughs> are very useful. <laughs>
0: Lots of good stuff in the Auction House of Oddities. So go check out the Auction House of Oddities now. Can I, can I tell live. you
2: one thing that's not on that list? That's, oh, yeah. That's going to be a big hit. There's a hitter. shitload
0: of stuff on the, on the list.
2: Yeah. Uh, James Miller, who you know, we had dinner at his house down there in Colorado. Yeah, very, what, very in, crafty fellow. In my repertoire hands. of
0: stories, there's a James. Like, I only have like certain story. Like, I have like five or six stories I mm-hmm. tell, and one of them is about him. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you care to tell it now? I just probably told it last podcast. It wasn't long. About when ago. that deer tried to beat him up. That's right. And uh, he is building a, or has already built a quiver that goes on your back that is leather lined and then finished on the outside with a coyote pelt. And with that, he makes custom wood arrows, footed shafts. And usually he just sells the shafts themselves. Uh, So footed means you take another piece of wood that's heavier, and with like, what do you call that connection? Is it just a dovetail, Chester? There's
8: there's different, there's a few different ones that you can use right. for the, the footage shaft. He
2: also tapers these wooden shafts, which doesn't happen often, makes them tighter, stronger, and straighter. Usually he doesn't finish them, but for this, he's gonna finish a dozen arrows. So if, really? you, if you bid on it, you're gonna just call him up and say, hey, I shoot 70 pounds. It, draw length is this da 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 da, da I need this spine of arrow, and he'll build you exactly what you want. This dude and, is one crafty craftsman. Yeah, they're so beautiful that when you get them, you're gonna say, "I don't know if I should put them on the wall and just look at them, or if I should go and shoot them." He would rather have you shooting them, but maybe you'll take two or three and just keep them as art. And he's and sending them none. in that
0: coyote fur quiver. No shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you'll appreciate this as a as a archer bow hunter. Yanni and I were doing a little research on something the other day. Um, Three arrows recovered at the Battle of the Little Bighorn site. Sold at auction. $96,000. Beautiful, though. Steel, Steel trade points on them. Wood shafts. Feather veins. From Little Bighorn.
5: That's wild. You just picture one of
0: them sticking right out of Custer's forehead. What's that? What auction? I don't know. Like we didn't get that far. Museum or something. (laughs) (laughs) Custer, how much did that chunk of? uh, Oh, I can't. Never mind. I almost just ruined something.
2: Yeah, don't do that.
0: Oh, check this out. They were, you know, uh, there's a thing called a copper light. You boys know what a copper light is? They teach you that at the Olympics? No. Fossilized human or fossilized poop is a copper light.
5: Oh, okay. Learn right? something new every day.
0: Some guy drops a deuce. In the right spot. 10,000 years go by. Yeah. Becomes a copper light. They were analyzing the copper light in Texas. Was this near, um, bonfire shelter, Buffalo jump?
6: Uh, I do not know.
0: Oh, did you see those pictures that me of me and Cal posing with those dinosaur tracks down in Texas?
6: I took them.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. Steve's got a lot of that. Well, no, here's the problem I have. Like, I used to always, because Yanni and I traveled so much together, anytime something happened, I assumed Yanni was there. And so I'd always be like, hey, Yanni, you remember when he's like, no, because I wasn't there. I'm like, how would you not have <laughs> been there? You're everywhere. Yeah, sorry, Corinne.
6: No worries.
0: I I thought that was Giannis. Took those (laughs) pictures. Uh, So they were examining a coprolite, and this feller, this feller that that took a growler 1,500 years ago, had eaten an entire whole rattlesnake and passed, I think the scientific term is shat, out, uh, even one of the fangs.
3: <laughs> wow, vertebra that must have been a
0: hungry dude. Vertebra, or just one of well, them, or yep, because <laughs> one the other one? <laughs> well, it was probably in the next. <laughs> oh, sure. Right, yeah, in the next one, yeah, the next day, or he, he had his or. coffee, smoked cigarette,
6: and <laughs> went <laughs> off
0: under some other brush. I don't out. know. So, vertebra ribs, fang, 40-some scales. And as happens in this discipline in archaeology, and we've joked about this in the past, and we've had archaeologists joke about it, anytime you find something weird, you say, it may have been... Some
5: kind of a ritual.
6: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: So, of course, there's the, this may have been ritualistic. I, I, I'm picturing this being some kind of poetic justice. So I have chickens at my house mm-hmm. and we had a we raised a pig and the pig was very kind and super lovable. And then at one stage, it just kind of went feral and started eating the chickens. Oh. So when we butchered the pig and turned it into bacon, I took some of the guts and stuff like that and fed it back to the chickens. Felt like it was poetic justice. Got it. Yep. So I think maybe this feller had a pet rat that was like his, you know, his mm-hmm, homie. And mm-hmm. he watched this rattlesnake <laughs> swallow the rat whole. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to do the same thing to you. That's probably, you should publish that. I just wrote it right now. Yeah. An <laughs> alternate, live. an alternate explanation.
0: Really interesting, though. Now, Heffelfinger, I can't tell, how serious was Heffelfinger when he was suggesting that, Yeah, never mind, because he kind of made a flippant off-the-cuff comment, I don't want to hold him to it. Um, Yanni, this is a, this is like a hard to explain thing. It's between me and Yannis, but I sent Corinne a screenshot of my text message exchange from Yanni. So yeah, I got to get it, but I haven't asked Yanni about this yet. Yanni shares with me how, yeah, <laughs> Yanni one day shares with me how he and Mingus operating together as a sole unit caught a mountain lion. And this is like a, a a threshold. This is a this is this is uh, almost like a religious experience for Yanni because this is like, like the archaeologists always say. Yanni knew he would arrive, like him and his dog as a hunting unit would arrive once Mingus just caught a lion, because then it's like it wasn't that he was following one of his buddy's dogs. He wasn't just along for the ride. He wasn't barking, but didn't really know what he was barking about. Like he there, did the work. Yeah. Caught his own line.
2: Irrefutable proof. Which last time, unless we, he just had me walk through the woods mm-hmm. and notice the lion in the tree, which doesn't happen. And last time we were talking about this on this year podcast, I was saying that that's, you were asking me like, what's next? I said, that's next. We got to go out and hunt and do mm-hmm. it on our own. And you've since caught three. Yeah. So that was number one. And then we got lucky and, uh, caught a trail of two lions together and Mingus treed them both. Really? Yeah. He did? I thought you treed two separately that day. Well... Did they go up the same tree? No. So, it was... He kind of... We were in a creek bottom. He cut the trail and took off up the hill. And I've realized now, this is one of the cool things about like getting to know what your dog does, is that if he opens up, meaning that he starts to like bark on trail, if he is not moving very quickly. He's on a bobcat because there just must be just less scent. The bobcat weaves and bobs through the woods more. That's where they get that name from. Bob and weave. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he doesn't move very fast. I can usually catch up to him if he just lines out and all of a sudden the GPS shows a straight line of like a hundred yards. Like it's a mountain lion track. So this is what's going on. And so I just start boogieing up the hill and, uh, I imagined that he had those lions caught in 30 minutes, but I had steep, deep snow, like probably crotch deep snow going to get to the ridge. When I got to the ridge, I thought, oh yeah, easy going now. But it turns out the south facing slope was covered in like scree and loose rock with like two to six inches of fresh snow. So even it looked like it was going to be breezy and just going to grease right across it. And it ended up not being so, and it was kind of treacherous, like slipping and sliding, feet poking through into holes, smashing my shins under rocks. So I Mm -hmm. had to slow it down. I even busted out my trekking pole. That's how bad it was. That bad. So he was there for a solid hour. I finally get there. Making noise the whole time. I don't know. Oh. Hopefully, that's what he's supposed to be doing, right? All I know is that I get there. Right as I get there, he maybe quits barking like five or ten seconds earlier. And it wasn't until I was under 200 yards that I could even hear him barking just because of the curvature of the hill, mm-hmm. you know. I get to kind of a rock outcropping, and he's quit barking for maybe 10, 15 seconds. And I look down below me, and I see a mountain lion on the ground slinking away, going, to, going the direction I came from, but 80 yards below me. And Mingus is not barking. And I'm like, uh-oh, I did it. Like, that, Got your
0: dog killed.
2: Yeah, got my dog killed because he's by himself. Bad news, you know. It was just in the back of my head. Even your though your daughters would have been pissed, yeah, but I could have fixed that problem with another puppy two. But I got good news and bad news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have had a very heavy heart. So I'm like, Mingus, Mingus, talk to him, talk to him. Like, just like trying just to get something out of him, and he immediately just comes kind of out of the woods, and I can see him, and he runs up to the base of this tree that I was not looking at because I was looking at the mountain lion walking away. And he starts, you know, treeing on that tree. And I look up the tree and about eye level with me, actually a little bit below me, there's a cat. And so, like I said, I, I knew I was following two because I was following two different size tracks. and Every now and then they would split. Yeah. And I could see at the base of the tree that he had worn it all out. It was, you know, there was no snow left and he, he's a tree biter. So at about when he's on his hind legs at about head height for him, there's usually like a 18 inch oval circle of where he's worn the bark off Mm -hmm. the tree so he does that for a minute or so i'm like okay but again i don't know what the other cat i don't know had he been going back and forth between two trees where the other cat was i don't think the cat would have just been on the ground watching him tree the other one Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense so i don't know what happened there for an hour but he only trees there for a minute and then all of a sudden he stops and you can see his nose kind of points the direction where that line was. And I think it was about 10, 10, 30. I'm guessing that he caught like an uphill thermal yep. and must have caught the scent of that other line that left. And boogies down to that track, takes off, and two or three minutes later I can hear him bark and treed like 400 me. yards away. So he went and caught that one.
0: Was it a female in like a semi-mature kit? Exactly. Female and a sub-adult. Man, we got to set some time. We got to set like some time to hunt. But I'm telling you, I'm getting the lion.
2: Yes, over Mingus. Yeah. So that's how we get back to this text chain. Oh, so, oh, but uh, one quick thing. Uh, Yanni informed
0: me before we started that Yanni has now secured permission with his spouse to get a second lion hound.
2: Mingus needs a buddy.
0: Are you going to buy, like, a high-test, like, you know, like a high-test pedigreed (laughs) lion hound? I've already
2: had some offers for free. Mm Mm-hmm to just take dogs. I think that there's plenty of hound trainers, handlers, whatever. They might not even necessarily be breeders, but they like to see lineages keep going and they're not in it to like make money. They do they're like, "Hey, I have great dogs. This other person has great dogs. We're going to make some great dogs. We would like them to go to people that hunt and and keep those dogs hunting." Oh yeah, and keep then that you that
0: line hunting? Yeah, and you'll like obviously take super good care of it and hunt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You won't be like some guy, like, oh, you know, just watching TV, but I was going to be a lion hunter. Yeah. Uh, so Yanni Dave, texts me. Dave and Paul, there's a there's a picture of Mingus. <laughs> Back to the text change. Yanni the, texts the me, the tree. Texts, texts me, that Mingus caught uh, his first lion. And I text him like, I don't know what the hell I said. Great. Then I text Yanni a photo of a fox squirrel eating a shad in a tree.
2: Hold on. Let's get it exactly right, (laughs) because I feel like I'm about to get thrown under the bus here. You said just you and Mingus. I said, yep. I did get a tip from my buddy about two spots to check, um, and the cat was in the second spot. You said, that's got to feel good. And right below that's got to feel good, there's a picture of... A fox squirrel in a tree eating a
0: shad, mm-hmm. all coated in blood. Yeah, and I said to which he <laughs> to which he has zero reply. I just sent him the most interesting photo in the history of photography.
2: No, I said but, I said I'm on cloud nine. I said coincidentally, I got to watch him find the tree she was in. The first time she jumped
0: twice. This is while sitting on the most groundbreaking photograph known to man. I said it was beautiful. <laughs> a you fox come back and say no eating eating comment on the a squirrel shad, eating the fish, eating a shad in a tree. This is like <laughs> I'm trying to think of photos that could compare. Oh, like Neil Armstrong, like on the moon with that flag.
3: <laughs>
0: I basically sent that to Yanni, but it's 1970 or whenever the hell that was, right?
2: Yeah. So I'm in like a very different headspace. Cloud nine. My dog's just treed its first mountain lion on its own. And you said, that's got to feel good. And then just slip in this picture. And I look at it like, oh, well, that, uh, that must be one of those memes. But that's like Steven Renella style. Like, that's got to feel good. Just like this fox squirrel has to feel good munching on this shad. Because most fox squirrels don't get to no, eat fish No, I said no comment often. on the squirrel eating the fish. There's a picture of the fi- squirrel eating the fish. If you guys, want I to figured reference. it was a meme.
0: Yana says, I fi- "Is that real?" I figured it was a meme that went with. That's got to feel good. I, I want to clarify something for you and everybody. I have never in my life, nor will I ever in my life, ever traffic in a meme. I'm right there with you I'm on team no meme I won't text a meme I won't put a meme on social media I will not I do not traffic in memes
8: or emojis just like all of it
0: no I don't traffic in emojis I use all of those <laughs> I will never traffic in a meme you guys big meme guys
5: I mean I I appreciate a good meme oh here do, you? Yeah. do you oh, yeah.
0: I'm
5: not I'm not a trafficker of memes either <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't create them or you know I have friends that do that, and then I share them.
0: Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. i said it before I, a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii, and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me, and here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spear fishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on, then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF-50 and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Uh, quick note. This is the opposite of an apology to the Falconer community.
2: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I,
6: it was, we, we need to get a Falconer on at during some the point. So I pointed out. It I, I,
0: they, they're not even taking on what I said. They're not even tacking what I said. I pointed out that I believe that, I made an estimate, I believe half of all falconers got into falconry through a and path, uh, uh, took a path that went through d d to get into falconry. That's all I said. This guy's like, we spend 150 days in the sea. You're, that's not what I said.
6: His was not the only he, comment. Yeah, it's he's just representative ch- of an upset
0: yeah, you know, but Falconer he's fighting with like, some other thing. What is a LARPer? He says Oh, that you live can... <laughs> action role players. Oh. <laughs> um... I had to look that up too. Because a LARP, there's a LARP, which was Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol in Vietnam. A LARP is not nearly as cool. <laughs> you I could disagree. be a LARPer about a LARP. You could LARP LARP. Yeah, you could LARP a LARPer. Um, Team No Meme, LARP LARP. So, uh, just a clarification to the Falconer community. I didn't say they don't go out a lot. I said I believe that 50% of all people that self-identify as a falconer came through a D&D, uh, took a D&D path, came through D&D rather than coming through
2: a relationship with the outdoors. I think you're wrong. We'll never know. Oh, no. <laughs> I think, well, what if we just pulled 10 falconers? Do I need to pull more to find out? Well, because... How are you going to find them? I don't know. Through Instagram. Oh, okay. yeah, That's fine. Go ahead. You're, gonna do, you're actually going to do that? Yeah. I'll pull 10. Are you going to make a meme about it? Are you going to be happy <laughs> if I pull 10 and zero of them say, I've, or if all of them say, I've never played d and I will be happy with it once I see your methods. <laughs> if your methods
0: is going through your network of people who are big time hunters, I won't trust the data.
2: Hmm. I'll get with Chester the tester on it to make sure that. Oh yeah, Chester uh, the tester. Be able to figure out how to test that
8: yeah, <laughs> that I'm doing the right. All the falconers I know are pretty
2: serious. D- like I know once we're again i have to. Get, we're once have again, to go I'm to not questioning whether they're serious. Barping festival, <laughs> and see if there's any falconers there, and ask them if they got into it. Yeah. from D and D. if I said if I said after the movie Top Gun came out,
0: um inductees into the air force skyrocketed and then some guy said but i wound up being in the air force for 12 years sure you'd be like but what's that have to do with what i'm talking about yeah you're not they're not talking about what i'm talking about and and you're not <laughs> i get it now okay <laughs> is it a video game
7: dungeons and dragons oh. I was, con- there, I was confused. There, as well. there, there's a
5: class. <laughs> there's a class. I have no idea
3: what this is.
7: <laughs> there's a class in a lot of fantasy role playing called a druid that has that can like communicate with animals and they're like they their spirit familiars, which sort of like like a ghost or an or like an animal mm. that they sort of have like not like a spirit animal but not too far off from that concept. And F- falconry. Shoot falcons are a very common familiar that druids use to like. You know, recon
0: reconnaissance. And, and they and, wear that little SM hood the birds do. It's like leather and orange. <laughs> SM ornate. hood, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. like, it's, gimp, like uh-huh. it's very like medieval. There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of like medieval symbolism. Yeah, in there. like like they're like blinders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's all it's all very medieval. That's all. <laughs> I get
8: it. I get it. Now.
0: Did you guys know that? Um, hmm. It's estimated that the ski was, I'm just looking at some stuff Corinne shared with me. The ski was perhaps invented before the wheel. Yeah, of
5: course. Oh, that's obvious to you. I mean, it seems obvious to me. Maybe that's my ski background, but but it's also much easier to construct a ski than it would be a wheel. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, it's a big flat thing. The first the first skis were glorified snowshoes. You think
0: so? Absolutely. Twenty two thousand years saying that there's I don't I gotta I don't I gotta get this evidence. 22,000 years worth of evidence of skiing. Cave drawings suggest man used skis during the last ice age. The oldest ski artifacts come from the Mesolithic period. Fragments of ski-like objects discovered in the 1960s date back to 6,000 B.C. in northern Russia. You buy that?
4: Yeah, I mean... You guys, How much winter is up there, you, you have to get around in the winter. So, I mean, otherwise
0: you're going to just be post around all the time. There are, from 4,000 B.C., rock carvings of a skier in Norway. There's skis, actual skis, discovered in Finland that were three from 3,300 B.C. In Sweden, two skis and a ski pole emerged from a bog in Sweden dated to 2700 BC from 2500 BC. There are rock drawings that depict a man on skis, holding a stick on a Norwegian Island. 200 BC, they got into skiing in China and check this out. The word ski comes from the old Norse word. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what's that word skia
6: not not quite sure but it sounds it's probably like
4: be. Shia or something oh. like that mm-hmm. oh there you go my coach is Norwegian so he we always butcher Norwegian words and it drives him nuts because he's like no it's not that it's the
3: oh yeah <laughs> uh,
0: so the words derivation is a split piece of firewood that's pretty damn interesting oh do you guys know what the Alamo means I didn't know that it meant uh, Cottonwood. Did not know that. No? Nope. All right. Do you uh, explain to me, because uh, so, because as a bi like let me ask this as a biathlete. Um, how much is like how much is the history of skiing and hunting like how much is it interwoven as sort of like a genesis myth, and how much is it that people are like yeah who cares. Um, like how many biathletes today? Guy, yeah, like. Is it like, are you hearkening back to the olden times? Or are there a lot of people who are like, I don't give a shit where it came from? Um, I would say a
4: lot of people probably like, I don't really care. But Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it really depends what nation you come from too. Like, I mean, if you're coming from Germany, the sport's just so big. You're like, I don't care. I just am like out here to like compete. Um, But I think there are definitely other people who have like more of those those roots. Like if you're up in Norway, Sweden, Finland. um, But I mean- It kind of went from, like, hunting also to the military side. So, I mean, I would say the military uh, roots are still pretty strong because they still have, like, military
0: world championships every year and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, because in that one that won the Finns were whooping on the Russians prior to World War II? Yeah, I mean, they used to train. They kind of dominated them in winter combat, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's
4: how, like, I mean, in World War II as well, like, Norway the germany they just like really couldn't hold norway because they were just so one they they knew the land so well but two they could get around really really well um but i mean they had trained their military um in their like border patrol uh pretty heavily on skis for the longest time um and that's when like those training exercises really started to morph into competitions and people were like hey this is pretty kind of this
0: is pretty fun to watch and like do and um continue so it it more came out of 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 military units trained to travel by ski, travel on skis.
4: Yeah, I think, but I, but like, because it originally had come from hunting, because, you know, back in the day in the, you're in the middle of winter up in Sweden, Norway, Finland, uh, Russia. I mean, you just can't, it's so much more effective to get around on skis. And so, um, I think the military adopted that and I'm sure that back then that's where, um, they they kind of saw the success of it and were like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna adopt what these people have been doing on on snow and um, train our military because it was just like very effective."
0: What what countries kick the most ass in biathlon? Like, who has the most golds? Uh Norway for sure right now. Um,
4: and I mean, it's it's pretty big. It's the most watched winter sport in Europe. So, um, it's, is it really? Yeah, yeah. Like the average World Cup has about thirty six million. Uh, viewers on television. Um, yeah, it has some like huge market shares in, in Norway, Germany, uh, Sweden's growing Russia, France. But, um, for the most part, I would say Norway has like a really, uh, strong development of younger athletes as well. So it's, uh, they just, I mean, they, they have the numbers as well. I mean, here in the U S you kind of struggle to get more than like a hundred people at a race to, to go where, uh, in Norway, you show up and you may have like 1,200 kids just like racing on a weekend.
0: So you're you're sort of like testing. They're testing a much higher percentage of youths for talent. Yep. And, and they have we, we probably to develop, have them. a lot of talent that we don't know about because we're not.
4: But also like in the U.S., you have a lot of talent going elsewhere. I mean uh, – in the U.S., it's like, hey, you could be really good at biathlon, or you could be like really good at another sport that's going to have a lot more support. Um, not to say that there's not talent in biathlon, but it's a lot harder to find as well. I mean, most people don't even know what the sport of biathlon is. I mean, back home, I say it, and they're like, like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm on the biathlon team. Like, oh, so you like run and bike or swim and do something else? And you're just like, <laughs> close, but it's skiing and shooting, and then they get even more confused. So it's, I mean, it's just so, such- so
0: David here. If he lived in Norway, he might be a it's more likely that he might be a biathlon. He might be a biathlete.
4: I mean, but Norway in general, they just have like a killer winter sports, uh, like cross the board. Yeah. I mean, they won the medal count in the last two Olympics and they're a country of five and a half million people. So it's, it's like basically Minnesota dominating the Olympics just as one state, but they're an entire country. And part of that is because they, they care a lot about it. Um, and they have training centers and, um, everything else set in place to, develop all the sports across the board um so i mean uh, i don't know who i mean i think the u.s is still like the powerhouse of freestyle skiing but it's the example would be then uh like snowboarding the u.s has always been really good at snowboarding why because we like kind of invented the sport Mm -hmm. and norway is kind of the same way i mean they they it's like their sport um they've always been doing it but like there's always there's also a huge following in germany and germany uh have really good
5: biathletes as well but it's because it's it's really popular there as well. Yeah. Do you have this experience where you go to Europe, Nor- Scandinavia especially where like you get off a plane and you're a, a you're like almost an A-list celebrity because you're an Olympic biathlete? Um I wouldn't quite say like getting off the not, not plane
4: A-list. people know <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh but no like if you if you go to these races, um, like my first world cup in Antolz, Italy, uh, there was about like 60, 65,000 people at the race. And it's Whoa. like, yeah, it's, it's like people I are just like, oh, can I get your autograph and stuff? And you're like, yeah, sure. I don't know why. You're just kind of like confused by it all, but, yeah, um, yeah no, people are definitely into it. Um, over there for sure. And then you come home and people
5: are like, you do what?
4: Yeah. <laughs> why? I mean, I landed in, so I live in Fargo right now and I landed there right, like, Flew from Beijing home for a week before I had to go back for the last World Cups. I land and I'm wearing like my Team USA sweatshirt, and this woman comes up to me and is like, "I hate to be weird and stuff, but like I was looking for him, and you kind of look like him. But did you just come back from the Olympics?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I did actually." And she's like, "Oh, what's your sport?" And I'm like, "Biathlon." And she's like, "Oh, so you're you're a summer athlete, so you're not actually competing right now." And I'm just like, <laughs> "Oh my god." Um, <laughs> well, no, I just said I flew home from the Olympics, and it was just like people just don't get it. And I mean,
0: yeah. it's like okay, well. Whatever. <laughs> uh, has the U has any U.S. team member ever placed a medal in biathlon? Not at
4: the Olympics. We're the only U.S. sport to not have medaled at the Olympics.
3: Oh,
0: yeah. How, 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 does that hurt, or is that like a challenge? How many How many more? Do you got any more? How many more Olympics you got? Any? How old are you? I'm 29. Uh, so I'm out. I'm I'm like middle.
4: I'm not long quite in the two- old, but what's I mean, an old?
0: Bi- what's an old? What's the oldest person to compete? Like thirty-eight, thirty-nine.
4: Okay, I so think you, at you this guys last get, Olympics, you guys can
0: squeeze more years out of it.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in endurance sports, you're gonna have a little bit, a little bit more time. Um, so you, you'll go back. Potentially, That's something I'm definitely thinking about. But I mean, I'm 29. I'm like got other things I want to do in life too. So yeah, I don't know, you, but you, but you'll live to be like in your early 80s. Yeah, for sure. So, but uh, it's a lot of time on the road too. There's just a lot of different things to kind of balance. but So you um, think about wrapping it up? Um, I've at least two more years. It's a matter if I want to go two or four more years. Where's the next so. one going to be held? In Cortina, Italy. So it'd be pretty sweet, actually. And uh, that's something that I've definitely thought about because I've had my best races in Antalto Italy, which is the venue that those Olympics will be at. And so it's kind of like, oh. hey, man, like, uh, go back and um, have a good thing going with the team and stuff. So... Yeah, it's definitely something I'm, I'm still thinking about, but, um, going back to the question of like, does it hurt? And I mean, it's something that's always talked about any Olympic cycle. It's like, oh man, the last sport to not have won a medal. And, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of media hype and stuff around it, but, um, it's not an easy sport to win and that's for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about how many nations are also represented in biathlon um, in the depth. And I think you just look statistically, it's one of the most competitive sports at the winter Olympics, which you think like maybe cross country skiing or something like that would be easier. But, um, biathlon is actually harder to like get into, um, for the Olympics in some sense than cross country skiing is even though there's, uh,
0: the rifle shooting component. Yo, Cause um, Cassie is shooting iron real quick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yanni said, uh, "Yanni said the bi- not you particularly necessarily, but he said the biathlon community is pretty loosey goosey about gun safety." Any comment?
4: <laughs> well, uh, that I I I would say in some ways we are, um, but like growing up hunting, uh, the biggest thing on a rifle that you'd like talk about is like the safety. So you'd be like, you always got to have your safety on. And I was taught growing up, you know, you, when you're walking in, you put that live round in. You got to be ready to to shoot whenever. But um my biathlon rifle does not have a safety on it. And the oh. biggest reason for that is is I never have a live round in the chamber until I'm like ready to shoot. Got it. Tell me what I'm looking at here. So it's a Onshoots Fortner uh slide action rifle. It's a 22 that long is, rifle. That is a
0: nice action.
4: So yeah, Damn. it's a slide action. So you it's can like just...
0: a yeah, it's like a bolt, but you don't close the bolt. Describe it, Yanni. You don't need to go like when you think of working a bolt, This is
2: yeah, there's no handle that moves up and down uh, across the action. It's just a handle that just pushes, that slides. Slides over a slight little ledge. Yep. Damn.
4: So it's it's basically, it works with ball bearings, um, and that's how it locks into place. And then when you pull it back, those I ball mean, bearings release and then come out. Yep.
0: Okay. So I'm trying to, this is a complicated ass grip.
4: <laughs> what do you got so, going on here? So that's like the pistol grip there. And then the, the, your thumb the piece right? of ahead of up that. Where's Yep. So, so basically, when you reload it, you'd pull it back with your index finger, and then you would close the action with your, um, with your thumb. I gotta do it lefty just to get a sense for the trigger pull. Mm-hmm. It's really light, about well, 500 grams. So you'll feel the first stage if you pull it in super, super light, yep. and then you hold it, and then you can feel it get the last part. Ooh. So.
0: That's glossy.
4: Yeah. So, uh, that I mean, there's a lot of big differences between like. Just a biathlon rifle and a normal hunting rifle. And um, a,
0: what? What? Uh, explain the sight to me.
4: They're all open sights. You have a rear aperture and then the front sight. Um, basically, it's just a circle that you line up around it. You have to put down out the the snow. There's two on each sight. There's snow. Um, oh, snow guards. So so just that keep you know. shit out of there. Well, I mean, if it's like nuking snow out there, you don't want to get all up in your sights and you can't see anything. So, so um, well, um, even
2: biathletes use the term nuking.
4: I mean, I don't know. Do you guys use NAR? Nah, not really. <laughs> we're we're actually not that, like, cool in a lot of ways. <laughs> Do you ever say stoked?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, as... I, mean, I, I as got as a we, point. Stoked has gone very mainstream. <laughs> okay. It's been stolen away from the yeah, skiers. it's no longer ours. No. You guys lost
5: that. <laughs> yeah. You guys lost the We stole it from bands. the snowboarders in the first place. Oh, you did? Oh, and they okay. stole it from skateboarders in the first place.
4: But, I mean, it's kind of cool to, like, hear the lingo, too, because I was, like, in Beijing walking through the the village and i saw this japanese snowboarder and i'm like oh how's the how's the courses here And she's like oh man they're like super sick but like the weather's also really sick and so it was like you're using like all this lingo and you're just like oh it's kind of funny how like the rest of the world has adopted some of that
0: that culture what's that little burr on the trigger just um, to help
4: you with finger placement? Yeah, exactly. And just like being able to feel it. So I shoot with my gloves on. Um so I'm not like messing around taking gloves off Got or it. anything else like that. So it just gives you a little bit better trigger feeling. Find your little sweet spot. Yeah. So it's basically just like a little little pin to um so that one, you're putting your, your finger on the trigger the exact same spot every time, but then also you can get a good feeling for it. And tell me what um how far are you shooting and how big are you trying to hit? The targets are all at fifty meters, so about fifty six yards. Okay. Um, here, I pull up my notes so I got everything right. But there's two different size targets. Um, you're gonna have the the prone target, which you would shoot when you're lying down, and that's about one point eight inches in diameter.
0: And it's hit or miss. Yep. It's binary. Yeah,
4: it's, yep. It's all hit or miss. Um, and there's, uh, let's see here. Yeah. If you, it, it's like it's all or nothing. So you at
0: prone, you're hitting a target that's what size? About the size of golf ball, one point eight inches in okay. diameter. Open sights. Open sights. Well, peep sight. Just so, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not diminished because like most people think of open sights, are think of like a buckhorn sight, right?
4: Yeah, and I mean, uh, there's no magnification allowed, so nope. it's all just like open peep sight. There's no lens um, in there. Um, nope. Nope. Um, and then yeah, so it's at 50 meters, about 54 yards, um, or 164 feet. And because it's so,
0: because it's fixed, that's why you yep. have such an elevated. You don't need to worry about well, what if the shots at forty yards? What if the shots at no? Yeah, it's all the same. And every day, every day, zero very specifically for fifty meters.
4: Yep. And every day before we shoot, we zero. So we zero every single day. You're not like showing up and um, you know, like pulling it out and going. Um, Part of that is one, if you're going from range to range, uh, you don't know like what the there's just like air is moving, and because we shoot standard velocity, uh, you're going to have wind affecting where where your bullet goes, um, depends on elevation as well. Wind might push more at elevation or, um, if you're at sea level, that all changes. And then also lighting can, uh, change things. But then lastly, um, you take your your rifle apart, you travel with it, you put it back together, um, how the rifle reacts in the cold. So like on race day, once our rifle goes outside, like before, um, zero and stuff, we leave it outside because, you know, if you bring it in and then it's getting warm and then you go back outside and it's getting cold. Um, so, I mean, it's just little things like that. And at the end of the day, we're, we're accuracy shooters, not precision shooters. So I'm sure like, so um, I don't understand the difference. Precision would basically be like, how close to the center can you get? Oh. So like precision shooters, um, in the Olympics, they'd be looking to get tens every single time. For me, it's like, I just got to hit that prone target down. That's about it. And we, we also have the race aspect where it's like, you want to do it pretty quick. Like, I don't want to be sitting there trying to shoot tens every single time. I just got to like make sure I'm hitting prone targets yep. or standing targets. And how big is the standing target? Standing target's is about four and a half inches in diameter. Oh, okay. So at what range? Still 50 meters. Okay. Same thing.
0: Yep. If I, you, when you go squirrel hunting, do you, do you bring this or do you got, do you use a different thing?
4: Um, I have, but it's like, it's a little different. Cause I mean, this is just so dialed in at 50 meters. Um, I mean, I've shot a grouse with my rifle before. Um, just like I was out, but I mean, it's just like so specific for, for biathlon. It's like, Man, yeah, if that if that whatever is at fifty meters, sweet, I'll get it. But like, it's but you don't know where it's
0: at at forty meters.
4: You know, I haven't really done a whole lot of um, whole lot of shooting at other distances, but also because it's a standard velocity ammo, it's gonna have a little bit of an arc on it. So, well, these are all your magazines. So you, I mean, so for during uh, during races, you got it. So if it's a two or four shooting race, you gotta reload each time. So each magazine holds five rounds and, um, you can up to five, five shootings. So that, that's the prone sling. Yep. So that prone sling, uh, goes into my cuff, which is on my arm, which the guys we were doing yesterday, they were looking pretty good with the, with the cuff on.
2: Yeah. It's pretty slick. It's like just a, basically an armband on your bicep. And when you get into prone, you take that little hook and lock it in. And yep. when you lock it in, you can just basically just go all skeletal and relax that front hand it. and it's you know like a nice platform do you
0: guys all use the same
4: gunsmith um pretty much everybody uses the same action and barrel so the on uh fortner 827
0: and then but there are like other guys that are like renowned for ranching on these
4: yeah. biathlon guns yeah fortner just is like small little basically a farm in germany um if you go there it's just like this rinky dink shop but um they basically manufacture and work on all the the rifles. There's, there's a few other guys that do, but they're pretty much all based in Europe. Like not a lot of guys in, in the U S but, um, yeah.
0: Is your community under a lot of pressure to get rid of lead?
4: Not, not yet.
0: It's coming for you. Um, yeah, for sure. It's something we've thought about where we're like,
4: cause there are the Paralympians sometimes use laser rifles, but like Laser laser rifles would kind of ruin the essence of biathlon. I think that's something that a lot of people people recognize. People but want to hear that? I mean, the big thing that affected us this last year was the the banning of fluorocarbons, and so we can't wax with fluorocarbons anymore. So the waxing industry has kind of been making a big change. But yeah, I think lead might be the that next one, and just trying to find something that can still be still be accurate and uh, work well in biathlon.
5: I got a biathlon question for you. Yeah. Um, in order to meddle. So we, we it. talked oh, about- you already finaled it. Does anyone want to final this that
2: hasn't finaled it yet? <laughs> no? Okay. You should put it on with those straps and we might have to build an, another sling. Oh, I'm going to fall in love with that? I what wish we had more backpack? time because
5: I want to shoot that thing for sure. Yeah. That looks- Oh, maybe we All can right, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't catch the question. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so I'm just curious in terms of meddling, because I'll be honest with you, I watch your event every four years similar to how you probably watch my event every four years. Uh, if in terms of being able to be on the podium in biathlon, do you have to shoot perfect? That really depends. Mm. Um, That's a good
0: question.
4: You, I would say no. to be successful. be the your biathlon race. <laughs> uh, I would so say I like, I'll, I'll take that one. I'll, I'll field that one. Let me answer it this way: If I would want a medal as like this year, yes, I would have had to shoot perfect. Um, other people maybe not because they're really good on skis. You generally have to shoot ninety percent or better. the The chances of someone sh- winning a race, having shot under ninety percent, happens maybe when there's really crazy wind conditions and everybody's missing, and then just kind of turns mm. um into like sometimes the fast skiers can kind of ski ski off the penalties. But um, yeah, generally it's about I would say ninety to one hundred percent.
5: Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, walk walk through how you how your sport came onto your radar. Being not from a country that, yeah. that a country that doesn't delve. <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like I uh, had said a little bit earlier, I, I actually grew up wrestling in Wisconsin. I had no idea what was, uh, what biathlon even was growing up. Um, really? Like you um, wouldn't have known? No, nope. I mean, I maybe would have seen a picture and be like, yeah, that's something that's like in the Olympics. But, yeah, I got you. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had not done done. I had not skied or anything like that um in high school is when I started getting into cross-country skiing and then went to college and it was at it was in college where my my coach used to be a biathlete himself and he knew like the opportunities and how big biathlon was and my talents and he's the one who kind of started
0: putting biathlon in my head Well, I I was reading about you um about this deal like with the weight cutting and wrestling Mm -hmm. that that got dangerous yeah. It's funny because I've talked about on the show, I've talked about like buddies of mine in high school doing the, you know, running around with garbage bags on and spitting into Mountain Dew bottles all day and sucking on marbles or whatever the hell they're doing all the time to yeah. try to like work it up. You went down that, you went down that rabbit hole pretty good. Um, In some ways. Yeah, it was
4: kind of weird because it like when I was in middle school, I was always like super against it, um, like the cutting weight culture. Uh-huh. But it was mostly because I didn't really have a reason to. At that time, I didn't have a specific uh, weight classes I was trying to make. I was just like wrestling other guys around my same weight. And most of the time, my dad was in in the rooms trying to put me in heavier weight classes anyways, just to like get me to wrestle some like heavier guys. Um, But in middle school, I mean, I never really felt like much of an athlete growing up. Um, I wasn't really good at the sports that were big in my hometown, football, baseball, basketball. And so, uh, in eighth grade, I actually saw an opportunity for myself to like maybe be distinguished against, uh, amongst my peers by getting my name on a weightlifting board. And so that's when I had like my first reason to really, um, cut weight. And so I did and got my name on the board and stuff, but then I thought, oh, maybe I'll be, be careful. And like, I can keep my weight down for the upcoming season. I can try and, uh, be prepared for the fall. I don't want to like gain extra weight and stuff like that. And it Mm -hmm. just kind of turned into this, uh, order. Yeah. That I was just thought I was being healthy, trying to make right decisions, but you know, I was a young kid. I didn't know what I was doing. And eventually I just kind of developed this addiction. Um, and struggled with that for, for a while heading into my but freshman all year. all like based around competing. Um, I, I mean at the beginning maybe, but not really towards the end. Um, at that point it just became like, I thought I was like being healthy, um, got it, got but it. really I was just like, I was being super unhealthy. Um, I took a lot of things and, that I learned from like health class and, you know, media that was telling me. Um, but I was like 13, 14 at the time. I couldn't really know. I didn't really know much sure. of the difference. Yeah. Um, so. well, now
0: when you look at, now that you're, you know, that you train at such a high level and obviously have access to legitimate professionals, mm-hmm. do you look back and be like, what in the world?
4: Oh yeah, for sure. Like I look back, I'm like, man, why was I doing that? And like, it's really hard to think about because like at that time you're, um, you're not thinking straight. I mean, like with most addictions, you're just, uh, really struggling through something. It was in your so, teens. Yeah. When I was like, uh, so, I mean, it was between my eighth grade and freshman year of high school. Oh, okay. um, And I mean, oh. I struggled with it for, um, about a year, year and a half. And so, um, yeah, during that time it was, it was, it was definitely a difficult time because, um, my, my dad really struggled to understand it. Um, I mean, he was just like, why is my kid so much different than like every other guy? Um, just not eating food and stuff. And my dad ended up dying in a car accident that, that winter that I was struggling with it as well. Um, What age were you then? I was 14 at that
0: time. So, um, and then. So how, so all of a sudden like someone just calls you on the phone or whatever.
4: Um, I was actually at school and, my brother and I got called down to the, uh, to the office and we we're just like, oh, what's going on? Like, why is my brother here? And then, um, they ended up taking us over to the middle school cause that's where my sister was. And my mom, uh, told us. At, and they didn't at tell the you school. why you're going to the middle school? No, not, not at first. And, uh, they just like, my mom wanted us to, wanted to tell us at school cause she's like, I don't want them to associate that uh, sort of news like in our house. Well, so,
0: but uh, how, what did they,
4: why did they tell you you're going to the middle school? They didn't they were just like, your mom's over there. And you know, at that point we're just like, what's going on? This is kind of weird. And, um, I don't think that like it, it was, I mean, yeah, it's a hard situation. You know, you don't want to tell your kids like, Hey, you got to go over to middle school. Cause your mom has some hard news for you. Ugh. It's like, um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough time. But, um, thankfully I, that went, uh, that summer I still was like struggling and, um, finally went to treatment at Rogers Memorial hospital in Wisconsin. And, um, got my, got my life back there. And, um, when I, when I first went in, I like never thought I was going to compete again as an athlete. One, cause I thought high school sports was kind of like the end all be all of sports. You know, it only, if you were like really good, would you go to college Yeah, yeah, yeah. and professional. Like for, for
0: most people, it's the like, it's yeah, the exactly. crescendo,
4: right? Exactly. And yeah. like my relationship with high school sports at that point was like not good. I was just miserable. I wasn't really good. I was, um, just doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and it was after that, that I actually got, introduced to cross country skiing and just was like on the weekends going out. And to be honest, like getting out of a gym full of yelling parents and being out in the woods by myself was, was a great change. And just like got really passionate about the sport and people were like, Hey, you're pretty good. You should try some races. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was like racing, um, traveling around the Midwest, uh, qualified for junior nationals. And then was like, I'm going to go to college and give this thing a go, but no guns yet. Nope. That wasn't until about my junior year of college. Um, Someone's
0: like, hey, you should... I mean... I got 22 with you.
4: Yeah, and so I graduated high school in 2010, and that's when the Vancouver Olympics were going on. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, saw some biathlon. I was like, man, that looks, like, super cool. But, like, I don't even know where to start to get into that. I mean, because it's, like... I didn't even know where the ne- nearest, like, biathlon range was. I didn't know anything about the sport.
8: Did you go up to, like, Hayward to...
4: Um, so I... Yeah, I actually lived in Hayward for a couple of years. Gotcha. Um, when I first started biathlon, uh, I had some friends who... Who had a cabin and like I was just broke at that time living on my car. And so for like two, three years of my biathlon career, I didn't pay any rent, but was just like living in where I could. And I was kind of doing some Rocky training at one point, just like living in this cabin in Hayward and um Oh, you mean like like, when he has
0: to fight the Russian guy?
4: Yeah, kind of. Where I'm just like I had like my own biathlon target that I bought from a wheelbarrow full of
0: rocks and whatnot.
4: Yeah, in some (laughs) ways. I set up my my target on the side of the road and I was just like roller skiing and shooting off the road and it was a good time. I, I love Hayward. It's a it's a great spot. Roller yeah. skiing. Yeah, that's basically just skiing on roads. Is it I it heard your kids are pretty or interested in it, but uh, it's, it's like skis are they're a little longer than rollerblades, and the,
0: yeah. the wheels are a lot slower too. Got it. Because um, if I saw a guy coming down the road with rollerblades and a gun, I get a way different idea in my head. <laughs> Yeah, then a guy on skis with Whoa. a gun. Well, oh, they this, purposely
2: make those wheels slow so that there's more friction and more yeah, resistance. Yeah, because if you think like about like, like how
4: fast cross-country skiing is, like you don't want to be out there just like going yeah. 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, inline blades are fast, mm-hmm. so our our wheels are a lot softer rubber, um, and we use the same same boots that we use on skis um, in the winter and stuff. And then yeah, so it's
0: it's to simulate skiing. Oh you know, speaking of the wrestling, you know who you might want to fight? It's Chester here. Yeah, <laughs> he he wrestled. I don't want to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's kind of behind me now. <laughs> yeah,
8: uh, it takes a it takes a lot to piss me off.
0: <laughs> what? So, what age was it that you first like uh like actually did a biathlon event? I mean, not it doesn't need to be the high level, but mm-hmm. you you went to an event and, and competed. So, my first biathlon race was actually uh
4: over in Minnesota at uh, Elk River, and there was this guy who gave me this like old biathlon rifle. Day before, he's like, basically, this is how you. Are in position. The day before, yeah, day before, and he's like, "All right, go out and send it," and then that's what I did. And that was when I was probably
8: twenty-one. That was like So he's final. like, "Look
0: through this hole. Yep, you see a little dot.
8: Yep. Put that on that little thing and shoot." Did yeah. you do well that first race? Um,
4: I can't even remember honestly. I know I didn't hit a lot of targets, but uh I don't think I ever dirtied. So that was like a success for me at that point. So so dirty, di- what's dirty? Was dirtying again? Dirtying is when you miss all five targets. And so when you, when you hit all five targets, that's when it's that we would call that a clean. Mm-hmm. So dirty's not good. Oh, uh, <laughs> in, in high wind, are you, you're holding off target? Depends. Depends how, what your strategy is. So, uh, if you adjust your sights, we would call that like clicking. So if, oh, so you'll do that? Yeah. So if okay. like the, the, there's wind flags on the range. And so, um, like depending upon what the wind flags are doing, you might click. Do you guys um, use MOA or what do you use? Or MRAD? Like what system do you use? Uh, just looking at the wind flags and adjusting No, no, I'm saying like when you click.
8: <laughs> I don't think it's oh, the no, same. You, okay. Yeah, it's
4: just like, I mean, so all I know is like on my rifle, the sight, when I... So if I come in and the wind flags are s- like straight out, I may have to go four clicks, which is about four bullet holes um, of okay. adjustment. So right. if I'm shooting center... And I take four clicks. I'm like on the edge or just outside
5: of the prone ring, so it, it, it can be make a difference. Mm-hmm. Similar to making adjustments on your archery setup. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah you're not thinking MOAs. Yeah, you're, you're just.
5: <laughs> it's. I mean, you have the little lines on your sight that you're like, okay, I moved it that far. Yeah. It's, yep. Each click is a certain amount.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and that was what age again when you first did your first about competition? 21.
5: And but I mean, what
0: what age were you uh, headed for the Olympics? Like, I'm trying to figure out like how many years. Yeah, uh
4: 2015 is when I s- graduated college and went full time biathlon. Um and unfortunately I like just missed out in Pyeongchang uh Olympic trials. I got sick and was like the first alternate. So, um didn't go there, but I would say those 3 years were pretty tough, but um the biggest thing with that is like the skiing aspect of the sport. Like you have to be a fast skier and thankfully Um, like through college, I really worked on all my like skiing development and stuff. And so at that point, it was really just about learning how to shoot, um, which to learn how to shoot a biathlon rifle. Well, probably takes about one and a half years to two years of like failing pretty miserably at times. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, I think I got this. And then the next day it's like, man, I can't hit anything. And so there's a lot of ups and downs, but it's just, it takes a lot of persistence and you have to be willing to, to
0: not do well for a little while. If you right now went in, like, what event in the Olympics most closely mirrors the actual skiing part of what you do in terms of equipment and course and all that? Uh, Cross-country skiing is, like, basically the same thing. So so the skis aren't any different?
4: I mean, like, yeah, biathletes are about as close to a cross-country skier as you can probably get in, like, any other sport. I don't know if you
0: guys had, if your gear was more tweaked out for certain. So how would you do? Would you just get smoked? In a cross-country skiing event? Um, depends
4: your definition of smoked. Like, <laughs> like you can hold
7: your own? Yeah, for
4: sure. Okay, um, okay, I mean, talking about like how competitive biathlon is in the Olympics, there's actually a few guys from some nations, um, including one guy from Latvia that I know. Um, he You're actually ready? went to... Cross country skiing because he it was easier for him to qualify for the Olympics in oh, okay. cross country skiing than biathlon. So you guys are high
0: test skiers. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I'm trying to sort out the like the shooting end of things and the mm-hmm. skiing end of yeah. things. But the skiing is it's top notch skiers.
5: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is yeah. there any crossover? Is, is there are there any athletes that do both? Yeah, I mean you definitely can uh, at the Olympics. Like at, at Olympic the Olympics, level. not
4: anymore because it's just like really specialized. Yeah. Biathlon does have a little bit different type of skiing so like our longest race is going to be 20k uh which is like 13 miles or something like that uh whereas when you have if you're a cross country skier your longest race is going to be 50k so you're right. going to change train a little bit different but we also have like 7 8 pound rifle on our back mm-hmm. so um and we're doing loops so there are a little bit of differences um but like it isn't unheard of for for us to like jump into a cross country ski race at times um like in the off season and stuff like that so
0: how if if it's the so a 20k race yep how long would it take you if someone just said like uh put your gun on your back and just go ski the ski 20k yeah uh depending like, upon s- s- snow conditions i'd say around 45 minutes okay yeah. and then and then, on average, in that twenty k event, how many shots? I know it's between one and five for every target, depending on how. But let's say, like perfect conditions, you're shooting great. How many shots are you can touch off?
4: Um, ideally twenty for twenty. So in a twenty k race, you're gonna have four shootings, so you're gonna have twenty shots. Um, the best I I've gotten is nineteen, so nineteen for twenty. And um, I understand
0: you hit you hit one target. You hit two you
4: hit, bl- targets with one bullet. No. He's shoot 19, 19
3: out
5: of 20 shots. 19 out of 20 shots. But he missed one hits. circle. Yep. I oh,
2: missed one shot. shooting steel. But you didn't keep shooting times. in order to hit it? You can't. No. Nope. You, you only Not in that five race. Race. shots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you shoot again? There's you five sh- targets, There's and you have five shots, and you shoot each one one time. So
8: I'll, I'll explain it.
2: So the oh, I thought you had race. five shots. You had five chances to hit it. You should just
8: break it down from start. Yeah, yeah.
4: So... So, the for, the so with the range, so the range is set up with the targets are at 50 meters. Yep. And each point, which would be like each shooting lane, has five targets. And so every time you come in, you're taking five shots at those targets. If you hit the target, it goes from black and turns to white. So you know you hit it. And if you miss it, it just stays black. So you could get up there and whiff all five
0: of your shots yep. on one target. Yep. But okay, I see. And that's what we call dirty. Yeah, so it's either like, way you're you're dumping when you stop, you're dumping five rounds. Yep,
4: exactly. I'm with you now. And so, so say I come in and I hit four of those five shots, that one shot that I missed, I get penalized. And so I in the 20k race, which is the individual, you get 1 minute added on to your time. So say I finish the race in 44 minutes, I'm going to there's 1 minute added on, so my race time is then 45 minutes. I'm with you now. So, so say you and then with a 20K race, there's two prone shootings and two standing shootings. So you have 20 shots total and yep. five shots at each shooting.
0: Man, I really feel like you should commit yourself to, to trying to do one more Olympics, man. That's what I was going to say. This, this story's <laughs> got so years. much grit. <laughs> yeah, because then when they make a movie about it, like you'd be like one of the Jamaican dudes won the, or didn't win. Oh, Cool Runnings? <laughs> yeah, they didn't win the Olympics. They just yeah. went to it. Yeah. With the bobsled? Maybe
4: it'd be more like a Miracle, 1980 on ice. <laughs> oh, there <laughs> you <laughs> go.
0: Yeah. But yeah, cuz you could beat the Russians. Yeah. And everybody doesn't like them again. Yeah, if they're still in the Olympics, <laughs> we'll see. So, uh I think you should go one more time. Like, like commi- I said, it's probably it's, it's not entirely up to what you decide though, right? Like you got to like
4: earn your spot again. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like I mean, that's the reason why I'm giving it some serious thought right now, cuz if I'm going another 4 years, I'm I'm all in. I got to got to be prepared and like uh I mean, these things don't happen overnight, and so you got to you got to be committed to
0: that long-term vision and like, I got you. So you're, you're deciding now. it's not like, do I want to go to the Olympics again? It's do I want to spend the next four years entirely committed to this one thing? Yeah. So like for me, um, since
4: like April 30th of last year, I've been home for like less than 30 days because I'm on the road all the time, training and really? racing. You so, married? Like, yep. your yeah. Kids. No. How long have you been married? Uh, about three and a half years now.
0: What's the story with that? How'd you meet her?
4: met her at the bike shop that I worked at in Duluth, Minnesota during college, and she was working there before she went to med school, and we just hit it off. Really? Yeah. That's good. So, huh. but like, I left November 10th of this last year, and I was in Europe until I went to Beijing, so through Christmas, and then I came home for one week, and then after that week, I've been now back on the road since, uh, for about four or five weeks, and so I mean, just all in all, it's it's a lot of time on the road.
0: Any endorsement deals in your
4: world? Yep. Oh, yeah. there are. That's yeah, good. For sure. So I work with Rain Body Fuel Aaron's out of Wisconsin, JJ Keller Foundation and Rogers Moore Hospital as well. Oh good. Yeah.
0: All right. So you don't have you don't need to have a day job. This is
4: my day job. If I had another day job, I would you, you can't make it work with biathlon. It's just I mean, yeah. it's it's full time training because as we said, you have to be at a super high level ski ski-wise and in order to do that you have to train on skis probably 750 hours to 800 hours a year and Oops. then you have to add in the sh- the shooting component but then i mean in order to train well you have to also recover well and so mm-hmm. i mean if i'm like at a job trying to figure it out yeah. also i'm just on the road all the time and i mean this is this is my job but people in curling they have to have day jobs yeah yeah that's a different thing <laughs> 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 like yeah, for sure yeah and i could pick yeah but that's what makes biathlon so difficult is it's like such a demanding sport. And the level of the sport has only gotten higher. I mean, the the field itself is just getting closer and closer. And the uh, like the ski ski times are just getting faster and faster. Um, and part of that really came from Ole Einer Björndalen out of Norway. He just took it to a whole nother level. And I think we see this with a lot of sports where like one guy takes things super, super seriously. And when he does that, everyone else is like, man, I have to also just like commit my life to this if I want to have any sort of success um and I mean it's probably like the same with hunting in the hunting world you know one guy is like super dialed in and everyone else is like man if I want to like compete and in some ways like on that like you gotta you gotta be dialed in
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: slash meat eater rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing right and you probably got rain gear but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day man i was just in hawaii and i had my columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie with me and here's the deal we're in and out of the water all the time getting in to go fishing, getting out taking the kids to the beach i'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF-50 and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment lots of hunters and anglers know that sea foam helps engines run better and last longer it's really simple when you pour it in your gas tank sea foam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems i'm talking common stuff like hard starts rough engine performance or lost fuel economy Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of C-Foam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. David, uh, do you go by David Weiss or Wise? Wise. That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, I hear people just read it off Weiss. the page. Yeah. I like Callahan I've, says Weiss.
5: It, it happens a lot to the point where I've just given up on correcting it. I'm like, if you want to call me Weiss, call me Weiss. Did you guys bump into Wise. each other at the Olympics? No, not this time around. No, but you're in Jean-Jacques right? Yeah. Yeah. So we were in the
4: same village, but there's a lot of people there.
0: Did you know each other before today? No, we just
5: met. Oh. So you might have bumped into each other not knowing it. Yeah, we might have walked past each other in the village and not even known. It's possible. Huh. Uh,
0: Do you you like hang out with other disciplines? Are you like so into the moment that you just focus on what you're doing? Oh,
5: no. That's one of my favorite parts about the Olympics is going and hanging out with people who do other crazy things, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It's so, so fun. there's like a social component to being there. Totally. I mean, you try to find the balance for sure, because huh. I've seen some folks go over to the Olympics and fall a little too heavily into the social component. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> and then they get to their event and they're like, "Oh crap, I haven't actually prepared for this at all." Really, like all hungover and. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends what sport you're in. It totally it really does. curlers curling. Like... Yeah.
0: <laughs> now you grew up out in the outdoors. Yeah. Did you feel that you know what I'm talking about? The tension, right? The tension that I'm having in my family between between traditional hook and bullet activities in in skiing. Did you feel that there was a compromise you had to make?
5: A little bit, yeah. You know, I would. Where, say, where did your
0: old man fall on this whole thing?
5: Well, I I think for the most part they complemented each other mm-hmm. because tell me more. Being, <laughs> well, I guess the best, simplest, shortest way I could describe it to you is that. S- really good, strong skiers can carry a really heavy pack. Exactly so true. You, so if you're trying to rig your your children up to be good pack out buddies, keep them on the skiing program because mm. the the training that I did well, they, they wouldn't be able to go help. Well, they would in the <laughs> archery season.
0: That's true. Yeah.
7: Yeah.
5: No, because I heard when you get real serious, you start spending half your year in New Zealand.
7: Uh, yeah.
5: Did you ever do that? I did. You one did that route? I did yeah. one season. And I just realized, I mean, for me, it's all about balance. And, uh-huh. and part of why skiing complimented, why hunting complimented skiing so well is that I could kind of put the skis on the shelf for a while and really focus on something else I was passionate Got about. You. And then I would hang the bow up on the wall and, and really be passionate about skiing again, but. I wasn't all one thing all the time. Cause I think, you know, talking about how I overpressured myself as a young athlete, that was a huge part of it was like, I was waking up every single morning and just dedicating my entire day to being the greatest skier I could possibly be. And to the point where I became too focused and I was overpressuring myself. And so having those alternate passions has always been really good for me competitively. I don't know if it's good for everybody. There are, there are certainly some athletes that I know who live their sport Every day, day in day out, and they do it well. But for me, having those balancing passions was always good. So you,
0: it's even like, um, like you'd view it as strategy. Oh, absolutely! Like, like, like actually, been not just like, hey, I'm, I, it'd be better if I just did this one thing, but
5: I can't. You're like, it's it's good to have a split. Yeah, in it's, your mind. it's great to have a split because, I mean, think about for me, I think about all the mistakes that I've made in bow hunting mm-hmm. and how much that's translated to making mistakes in skiing. Because if you if you really beat yourself up about missing a stock, bow hunting, you're going to be miserable. Because, you know, five minutes later, you're going to make another mistake and learn another lesson. Five minutes later, you're going to make another mistake and learn another lesson. And, like, life is like that. We're constantly, it's trial and error. You're constantly trying to do new things. You're trying to do something innovative. And you're not always going to succeed. So the bow hunting crossover has been very mentally, like, just beneficial for me. And I mean, just in my soul too, I need that time in the wilderness. I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. Like I, I really like to read a lot. I like to just be, I like to be alone quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's two to three weeks in the fall where I just turn my phone off and go off with my bow on my backpack and hike into the wilderness and, and just completely detach. And that sets me up well, for traveling all around, all around the world, competing every other weekend, all this other stuff because I, I can get to like a spiritual medium.
0: Is it like a little is there like a little ritual when you like go and hang up your your bow and pick up your skis? Is it like today's the day?
5: Yeah, it, it, I always kind of laugh because I, I know for a fact I, I always have these high goals of oh, I'm gonna shoot my bow in the off season more than I did last year. But pretty much every time it's like, it's like mid to late November. I hang the bow up on the rack and I'm like, that's probably the last time I'm going to touch that thing until spring. Is that
0: right? Yeah. Then you just start in on it. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, walk through how you like sort of your, you know, at, at whatever point, like how you progress up to the point where you're, you're in the Olympics.
5: Yeah, well, I, like I said, it's a it's a young sport. I started competing really young. I, I transitioned over from alpine racing. My dad was he raced in college and um, wanted me to be a racer. My older sisters, who are twins, four years older than me, oh, so they you did raced. You, you did what your dad said you should do at the beginning. Yeah, oh, that's good. And then, <laughs> but I always wanted to jump. I, even when I was even when I was like neck deep in racing, I would skip race practice and go ski the terrain park so i think that everybody kind of knew at an early age this kid's going to transition to free skiing at some point Mm -hmm. um so i switched over and competed in moguls and aerials and all the traditional uh freestyle events early on but that was when terrain park skiing so half pipe slope style and big air were kind of coming into the scene because you know most people don't even know, (laughs) even to this day, a lot of people don't even know that we have skiing halfpipe in the Olympics. And I'm like, dude, we've done it three times now. But um, it started with snowboarding. Snowboarders created the terrain parks. They they took things from skateboarding. They're like, oh, a halfpipe would be cool on snow. And so when I was... 11, 12, 13, that's when free skiing was becoming big. And growing up, I always wanted to be, always wanted to be a snowboarder because I, those were the guys I saw doing flips and spins. Because cool they, the re- they
0: were the rebels too. Yeah,
5: they were the rebels. I wanted oh, right. to be a rebel. I always was. So uh, yeah, I just, I, at the point where I probably would have transitioned to snowboarding was when free skiing was getting cool. And mm-hmm. I was like, I already know how to ski. I'm just going to do this. And <clears throat> started traveling and just chipping away at it. I went to my first Junior Olympics, when, or, which was would be Junior Nationals. They call it Junior Olympics back then. Junior Nationals when I was 13 and won an event that I just was surprised I even won and um, kind of just chipped away at it from there. Like I said, in the early years, I was really bad at competing, but I would always get one or two wins. Per season to kind of keep me in it. I never had like a full season of failure. I always won the last couple events of the year because I finally just found my zone or yep, found the swing yep. of things. It wasn't actually until uh, 2011. Uh, so in 2011, I got married, had a little girl, and all of a sudden my world changed and it was that, it was actually that detachment. She got married young, man. Super young. Yeah, 20. Mm-hmm. My daughter was born when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah wild times (laughs) so how how, so how old your daughter now she's 10 okay yeah i had her at 18 so (laughs) seriously (laughs) it feels that way sometimes when she's getting salty with me uh but i just uh so what was cool about parenthood for me is everybody thought my career was over they're like oh dave went a different route he got married young he had kids young you go by dave it depends on who you're talking to. Oh, like, I have great luck Dave, with Dave, David's
0: dude, phenomenal luck with Dave's. Okay, yeah, good, good.
5: Yeah, Dave's good for me. Uh, uh, whenever
0: people get, uh, whenever one of my buddies is going to have a kid, I always say, "Dude, name him Dave." That's. It's a I, very I, really that. name I really appreciate
5: that. Reliable. I really appreciate that. turn. Yeah, the, the odds are they're going to be all right. All right. I went from over focusing, over pressuring myself, wanting to be the greatest skier of all time. And never performing well in competitions to this whole new aspect of life, where I kind of realized this whole game I play on a pair of skis doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. And what really matters? You is, mean
0: matters like in a in a sort of global existential way? Yeah,
5: like yeah, okay. like in yeah. a in a, an eternal way. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. what what really matters. And I realized what really matters is how I treat my wife, how I love my daughter and now son, and. All of a sudden, the pressure was off for skiing, Hmm. and I started seeing it as an opportunity rather than a necessity. Before my daughter was born, skiing was something I had to be good at because that was what my identity was. I I wanted to identify as a great skier. And then when I just decided to identify as Dave the Human, who's a husband and father, skiing became like something I did more nonchalantly. Mm -hmm. Nonchalantly. And uh, that's when my string of success started. I just started cruising. I was enjoying it.
0: You know, a friend of ours, Mo, he expressed something similar to me that uh, once once he had his, all he ever did was work, right? And then once he had, he got married and had a kid, he felt more like like when he went to work, he stepped into a role. And it just changed for him. It got better. Yeah. But he said he started thinking of like putting on the hat, like putting on your top hat and grabbing your briefcase and like going and doing that thing. Yep. And then at a point in the day you stopped doing that thing and it gave him like, like clarity into what it was. Yeah. Like into what his job was. and It wasn't just that that was Mo, right? It was like, well, there's Mo, but he does this thing. Yeah. You know, and it, I, it was helpful to him.
5: I think for me, it comes down to quality over quantity because, uh, before Nayeli, my daughter, was born, um, it was all qu- quantity of skiing, like quantity in the gym, quantity just thinking about skiing all the time. And there wasn't a whole lot of quality there. I wasn't as, I wasn't as focused training for skiing as I had to be when I had to wear the two different hats. Mm-hmm. I would come home from training at the gym or whatever, and I would take the skier hat off and put on the husband and father hat and actually, being able to focus on those two different things was really good for me because, yeah, I my quality went way up, even though the quantity went down. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, what about
0: uh, if you like if you're introverted and you like things to be quiet and like to to be by yourself? You you got to have also like an obligation to be out there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right in the public eye. Like it can't just be that no one ever hears a peep out of you, and then all of a sudden you should turn up at the Olympics,
5: right? Right. You need to be like a I yeah, don't know, it's, I don't know what the word. It to be like a personality, right? Especially around the Olympics, because if you're in a niche sport like Paul and I are, we we you don't get a lot of attention except in Olympic years. So it's kind of daunting how much attention you do get in those years, because you're like, wow, I have 12 interviews scheduled this week. Last year I had zero, and because they want you to market, they want you to market the competition. Yeah. They want you to market the Olympics, like in general. And you want to market your sponsors. Your sponsors want you to market them. You want to market yourself. There's so much that goes on. It's it's a very focused time of doing a lot of media and stuff like that. And actually that's where my like deep addiction with hunting kind of came into the picture was after I won gold in twenty fourteen, I was stressed out and overwhelmed by all the attention. The the introvert in me was just like, dude, you gotta stop. In what form did the attention come? interviews going to sh- like going to weird stuff like g- doing a lot of interviews like i got to go on ellen the ellen DeGeneres show like things that are totally outside of a professional she's big animal noise person yeah did you guys get into that no we didn't uh, they they very you like, hey, very qu- staunchly hey, you, told you, me you not didn't to say like that. hey i got a question for you i i would have <laughs> loved to have had the time <laughs> those those shows are produced down to the second oh sure it's crazy uh, so yeah I, I was just overwhelmed uh, like I went to Oscar parties like they treat you for a what? couple of weeks especially when you win gold they treat you for a couple weeks like an a-list celebrity who's they the, the Hollywood the media or the media or the the, the, the people of the United States for and, you, and it, so you got a manager comes in and they like are you fielding the the inquiries? hopefully your agent or somebody else's, because if you were fielding all the inquiries, it would just drive you to the, into the ground. So you're like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'll do that. No, yeah, no, and Exactly. Like, you got to do this. And there's, and I, I you guess for me, not to do this kind especially because I was young, I was like, well, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do everything because my, I know my windows is tight here. So I have to do all these things. They all seem like great opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I just wore myself out. What'd and, your wife think about all that? She, she, you'd have to ask her, but I think she was pretty worn out too. She didn't like all that. I mean, she she was riding the wave along with me. She went to the mm. Oscar parties with me. She went to do this stuff. Oscar parties, yeah. It was it was wild. It was a wild time. I said no to all those things the second time because <laughs> I, I I
2: felt like you know, I just did. Play,
5: it. Just play my last interview,
0: Paul. Yeah. are You taking
2: notes because when you win the when you come America's back big first time, medal yep. in biathlon, you're gonna
0: need to
2: it's gonna remember be two all this weeks shit. of hell.
4: I mean, yeah, I I guess, but I totally sympathize with him where it's like people come out of the woodwork and they're like, man, you haven't cared about me for like the last two years. They come up, they care about you for about three, four weeks around the Olympics. And then they just like drop off face face. And they do a
5: good, they do a really good job speaking to my old young self after I won gold in 2014. They do a really good job of making you feel like they actually care about you. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to say no to a lot of things because you're like, oh, no, this person really cares. They did their research. They know all about my backstory. And the reality is, yeah, you kind of have to go in knowing this person doesn't really care about me. They only care about what they can get from me in this moment. So anyways, back to my long-winded story. Well, we I'm ca- telling we here. care
8: about you guys. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. You know what? I want you to
5: come. <laughs> we need to do the
0: math and find out what day is the most far away from the Olympics.
8: And we'll go sturgeon. And you rounds. guys
5: come back that day. <laughs> okay, so back to the bow hunting thing. Uh, Remy saw, who's a lifelong friend, saw that I. You guys uh, are both from the same state. Yeah, we're from Reno. Yeah. And uh, he saw that I was stressed out, and he's like, "Here's a bow. Just, just I think this will be good for you." And like the meditative aspect of shooting, I really fell in love with because I was just a recreational hunter. I would hunt, especially living in Nevada. Basically I would just hunt when I drew tags mm. on the rifle side of things. And then I got I just fell in love with the sport of archery. And it was it was really grounding for me during that crazy time. And then I was like, oh well, now I can shoot. I might as well hunt. And the seasons fit better. Everything fits better. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because archery season in Nevada Get cracking. starts oh. eight, August first. Oh, yeah, dude. So like 109 degrees out. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so it fit perfectly. So that's why you know, skiing doesn't really detract from hunting, and hunting doesn't really detract from skiing for me. There are certain tags that I can't put in for yet because I'm still competing, but uh, they definitely complement each other. Yeah, like well. the mule deer ruts out. Yeah, I've never shot a rutting running butt with my bow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it will have to get someday. it in.
0: You got to get it in when the getting's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
5: so you put in for tags all over the place now. <laughs> yeah. Each year, I put in for a new state. Yeah. Along with all the other ones, I'm sure you guys have have experienced that progression. It's oh like, yeah. So you
0: call up Hunt Fool and be like, "Listen, man, I can only hunt in like August, September, early October."
5: Yeah. Where can I go? What do and, they got? And what what are do the they got for me? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you live now? Still in in Reno, just outside Reno and Verdi. How far from where you grew up? Uh, Twenty minutes. Huh.
0: Yeah. Your uh, folks still there? Yep. Are they all proud of you?
6: <laughs> you have yeah. national uh national state david oh yeah David Wise.
5: Day, right? yeah the, no, the community the reno tahoe community is very proud of me in 2014 after i won uh the governor at the time declared david wise day so every february 28th just remember that it's david wise day i will do is something it, cool is it hard for you to go out around town no no it's i mean yeah there people come up for autographs and and photos but it's not like that doesn't hurt my feelings. It Did you like covid cuz
0: you had the mask on?
5: I mean let me be honest. The the level of fame that we're talking about for me versus the level of fame for somebody very famous is I'm not talking, so about, I'm talking about in
0: your town.
5: Yeah. Well, in my even in my town it's like it's like once a week. It's not like every single meal I go out for. I see. And we kind of live off in the woods. Like we eat we eat at home most of the time, mostly cooking wild game, so it's yeah. so we don't we don't eat out very much. So maybe every time I go and eat out, somebody comes up to me for and something. And you do all your best work with a helmet and goggles. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's not like I'm so I'm, unless I'm you're not running around that recognizable. Helmet. Yeah. Yeah, I got it, yeah. I I have the the funniest experience that I have is usually when I'm getting my oil changed or, you know, at the sandwich shop. People will just stare at me with that like where you do I look, know you, you from Look like that skin? Dude. You, no, they don't even know that. They're like, <laughs> I know you. And they'll say that they'll, They're like, did we grow up together? Did we go to school together in elementary school? Where do I know you from? And it, that's just kind of funny for me. Uh, do you cook in your house? Yeah. Does your wife uh, cook much? She cooks mostly.
0: Oh, she does. Yeah. She th- like, she there's kind wild. of a running. She cook, she'll cook with wild game. Yeah. She oh, like yeah. to hunt.
5: She, she will. She'll tolerate hunting. She like I put her in for tags for rifle tags. I'm like, all right, baby, you drew this tag. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but she, but it's not her passion. But she loves cooking. She's a great cook, and she prefers that you guys eat game meat. Oh, absolutely. When you went over to
0: the Olympics, did you did you bring some game meat with th- you? That's probably I hard. I thought isn't about
5: it. it. I, I mean, I do it everywhere else, but I was like, I probably don't want to get caught with wild game meat. In my, yeah, there's I this I whole
0: know. thing with moving
5: animals across the border yeah, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, but uh, the funny thing is. When we travel in this uh, amongst my peers and skiing, I'm kind of the cook because I'm the oldest guy. I have kids. And so if we're all staying in one, like if there's four or five guys staying in one condo, I'll cook the meals and I usually bring wild game and they're all excited about it. And so I have this like reputation amongst my peers and coaches and support staff that I'm this amazing cook. So every time any of them talks to my wife, they're like, wow, it must be so great having Dave around <laughs> to cook all the meals. And she's like, Yeah, that'd be nice if he ever actually cooked. Because <laughs> I don't cook when I'm home, but
0: my daughter, he, he, my daughter stayed over at Yanni's house. <laughs> I'm still pissed at her about this. <laughs> my daughter stays over yet, she's nine years old, stays over at Yanni's house and tells him, Oh yeah, my dad, he hasn't cooked breakfast at all. Told him that he just looks at his phone. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Which yeah, is I, a bold-faced total <laughs> lie. I, I think she got caught up in, just like I do, you go to someone else's place, they could cook the exact same thing you cook all the time, but because someone else cooked it, it's going to taste so good. and be different, you yeah. know? And she got caught up in that. I happen to make some, like, lemon ricotta pancakes. My kids are like, eh. And Rosie's like, oh, my gosh. Best pancakes ever. My dad never makes pancakes, you know? (laughs) So true. And uh, I forgot what else there was. Whatever we had for dinner, she was a real big fan of, too. Oh, yeah.
0: Yanni made a schnitzel with wild turkey oh, and she right. gets to telling yanni i've never had
2: this before <laughs> i'm, like, what are you doing? I'm it's like like a staple <laughs> yeah i'm like i think most of america thinks that your dad invented this dish
0: <laughs> <laughs> so funny man so uh when do you, at what point do you got to decide if you're going to go to the olympics again right you know i don't mean go but try to go or is it are
5: you, or you already got invited uh no I didn't already get invited. So you could like like, go to shit and not make it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, at at least for. I mean, I was thinking about hanging it up after the last Olympics, and just kind of moving. You are like
0: what's his name? You are like Tom Brady.
5: All the hem and hawing every year. Well, no, I was never Try with the news cycle uh, with your hem and hawing. I'm an introvert, so all this is going on in my head. I wasn't saying it out loud. Like, oh, I'm thinking, but but I was considering. I just had kind of lost my love for the sport. I had a couple seasons in a row where I was injured a lot of the time, and it was uh-huh. just it just got to the point where I was like, "Man, do I really love this anymore?" So I got out of that place and decided to do another one here in 2022, and now I'm kind of like, "Man, I'm pretty motivated. I think I want to do one more." Have you touched a pair of skis
0: since you got off the off the podium there?
5: Yeah, oh, I had okay. I, I I bruised my heel pretty good this year, and it was just causing me great pain while I was skiing. So it's hard to be motivated to go out and recreationally ski when yeah. you're dealing with injury like that. But I skied last week and it was fine. So I'll, I'll probably be back out cruising now.
0: If you decide, when do you need to decide by and when do you need to start acting on that decision?
5: Oh, it all comes down to your talent level uh, or in, some, in some ways. Um, because I know for a fact that I'm not talented enough to not stay in it for the next four years okay. and try to make it for... Four years from now or three and three quarters years from now. So if I'm gonna go for another Olympics, I kinda gotta stay in it, stay competitive, be training, be doing all the same stuff that I've been doing. Starting when? Right now. S- starting now. Yeah.
8: Hmm. With that ski and it f- it's just so crazy how progressive it is, though, and how you have to stay on top of it and just watch some guy probably on Instagram do something crazy and be like, I don't know. It just it's just so progressive, it seems like. Oh, like you know? it's changing all the time. Well, yeah, just with the mm-hmm. tricks, you know. Or do you not feel like that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I mean,
5: part of my early success was because I was was that guy. I was the pioneer. I was the one who was, like, w- just looking at the sport and picking off things that nobody else was doing and saying, I'm going to do this. And that's why I was able to win so many contests in a row is because I was just, like, I had this on paper, I had an advantage at the start of the day, so all I had to do was land it, yeah, in order to win. And so now I'm not in that position anymore. I'm I'm kind of like looking at the younger guys and watching. What You're they're an old fuddy duddy now. I'm just all washed up. But
8: <laughs> um, like, yeah. what's a trick? Like, what what's the the one of the best half pipe tricks? So right, right now, all, called all the know? tricks
5: we do are are counted in degrees of rotation. So 360 degrees is one spin. And uh, in the last Olympics in 2018, I won because I did double corks, which means you're flipping twice and spinning in four different directions. So I took off backwards to the right, did a double cork, took off backwards to the left and did a double cork. And th- those were 1080s and 1260s. This time around at the Olympics, it was all 1440s and 1620s. Oh, so it's oh like God. really like, yeah, yeah.
8: People are now like spinning stopping themselves, right? In some stuff and like landing the opposite in s-
5: Yeah, you call that a pretzel. When you when you spin one direction and then almost hold it and bring it back the other direction. What? So that's in that's not in half pipe yet, but but it may we may get to that point. But Paul there's you all us, kinds you sh- of you innovations need to start trick shooting,
0: shooting, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's going to be like shooting over his back and shit, you know, after yeah. this. <laughs> pretzel shooting. Uh that's yeah. It's, I hadn't really thought of that part of it. It's like it's not like this like thing that's always existed, and you just do it faster,
5: right? That, and that's what it. That's what it's like in most of the traditional freestyle yeah. events, so like aerials and moguls. For the most part, they're doing the same tricks and just trying to do them better. But my sport is all about innovating and doing something new that nobody else is doing and differentiating yourself that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, man, we're we'll watching. I appreciate it. I'll be rooting for you. Thanks. See now I feel invested. I always get interested. I can't get interested in sports. Until I know someone that does it.
2: Yeah, both you guys. I feel like we're invested. Yeah, I can't wait we to, need watch. to see it. Paul's yeah. man. Yeah, sure.
0: Well, you guys got to send me a text when you decide or not.
2: Paul, how does the uh, average uh, Joe American uh, get to watch like your next big race or just biathlon in general? Like, is there a streaming service or a website that you recommend?
4: Yeah. Um, I think the easiest way is Peacock. Peacock generally has all of the the races live. Uh, If you have a VPN, you can watch it on uh, Euro Eurosport. Or if you go to biathlonworld.com, they have live broadcasting on there as well. Um, NBC Sports at times does have it, um, but Peacock is generally the easiest, or Eurovision as well.
5: And that's the same for my sport too. Peacock is a really good way to
4: tune
2: in. I think everybody has Peacock now because of the Olympics.
5: Yeah. When's the next big showdown? our
4: first World Cup this next season so we just wrapped up um I was in Norway a week ago and that was our last World Cup of the season and our next World Cup for to kick off the 2022-23 20, season will be in Sweden on I think November 28th
0: is our oh first so you race. got a long break
4: right now I have I have about a month break and then I gotta get back to training yeah yeah so, okay.
0: yep. you guys call it a shootout a showdown what do you call it World Cup Oh, okay.
4: <laughs> shootout sounds way better. Yeah, huh? I was gonna say I think like a biathlon shootout Quick sounds shootout. way cooler or showdown even. Like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. In, but in general, is the like worldwide biathlon um, trending upwards? Like more people getting involved and yeah, in watching sure. it? Really? Yeah,
4: for sure. It's a, it's a huge market. Um, I mean, they signed some the the IBU, which is the International Biathlon Union. They signed some like pretty hefty uh, TV deals, and their mm. broadcasting has all been. Um, with with Eurovision and Eurosport, which makes it a lot more assess- accessible for people to watch worldwide, and as a result of that, it's been a growing a growing sport. What's um, the trend in like the this. U.S.? Um, that I don't know statistically. It's definitely growing, probably not as much as other other countries. Like, um, but the IBU is definitely trying to target those uh, different markets that aren't quite as big yet, like including Finland, which is more historically across country uh nation
0: but yeah they're definitely growing
8: it seems as if just in Bozeman here i hear more chat about this sp- the sport yeah cuz that place yeah.
0: up there's that place up the road that does all the crosscut they got like crosscut yeah. they got all the you go down there and there are people shooting away and yeah
4: so crosscut mountain sports here in town uh they just put in a brand new 30 point range which is like a regulation size range to hold international competitions and they're currently starting a uh fundraising campaign to build a full training center and lodge and everything else like that, which is super exciting. Um, so it's going to be a really sweet facility once, once they get that put in. And so, yeah, it's, if you're in Bozeman, you should definitely, definitely go check it out. Uh, how, how do people find you? Are you active on social media? I am. I'm on Instagram, Paul T. Schomer. Um, that's my main my main one, otherwise S
0: C H O M M E R. That's correct,
4: and then I also have a website, Paul I don't, I don't update it a whole
0: lot, but well, everyone find out they can drop you a note, be like, "Hey, yeah, if you really for sure, shoot, good, yeah. Yeah. yeah."
5: I think I mispronounced your name when I was introducing you at the start of the right. show. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's what? How? What's the best way for people to find you, David? Same thing, Instagram. Uh, my. Skiing page Just my personal Skiing page Is Mr. David Wise Mr. David Wise And then if you're Interested in the Hunting aspect of things I post that all on Wise OTG Which is short for Wise Off the Grid right. And I'm on uh, YouTube too I, I vlog here and there I'm not super Consistent about it But I I do hunting And skiing stuff On the vlog And how do they find that? That's at Mr. David Wise As well Mr. David Wise Mr. David Wise
0: Alright Well guys thanks for Coming on man Thanks for having us I'm pulling for your asses
5: <laughs> Don't let me down you thought you felt pressure before, Yeah. You know, I, I can't <laughs> wait to look back on this and be like, you know, when Paul decided was when he was sitting there mm-hmm. at the yeah, meat eater, Bozeman. Mm-hmm. But he got to then think he went about on to be the Jamaican first bobsled ever. team and went yeah. on.
0: And
4: yeah, i <laughs> I think took I think the I
2: mean honestly, even if we did it without the skis, we should maybe try to do another little meat eater get together so you could just like shoot that rifle. It's a real joy. Oh, I'd like to shoot the rifle. Yeah. I'd bring I'd your like kids to up too shoot the rifle. I want, I'm want. i bummed I missed out I don't want to
0: bring my kids because then what if they get into it that sounds
8: more, terrible. At, <laughs> more weekends away <laughs> what if they get into
4: it and it's a weekend thing I mean it could be a weekday thing too it's here in Bozeman you know, it's not like you're going to be traveling places yeah, I guess they could do
0: that on Tuesdays but, or something like that yeah they got weekend yeah, progr- su- su- programs <laughs> and stuff So you're super close Tuesdays, Wednesdays, they're I don't know alright <laughs> guys thanks for coming on Or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison, is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit Maui dot com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison dot com. Use promo code meat Eater for twenty percent off your order.